Welcome back, guys, to MMA Wreckage Radio. Here we are for episode 11. And, man, we've got another great one for you today. Kyle Kaler joining us today to talk about his upcoming fight at Cage Wars 40. We have Jimmy Smith sitting down to talk to us about a whole bunch of different topics. But first, guys, we're here to recap one of the best cards that I think we've seen in a long time, at least on the platform it was on, the first uh, UFC card on ESPN+. Joining us today is the Postmaster, Al Morrow. He is also competing at Cage Wars 40 for the Cage Wars light heavyweight title. We've had him on before, and we'd love to welcome him back here. So here he is, ladies and gentlemen. How are you, Al Morrow? I'm doing good, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's great to have you back. We had a fucking killer card, man. I know it. Yeah, I was um, I was uh, bouncing. I was working, and I we had it on the TV, and and uh, everyone, even in the snowstorm, people were coming into the bar, and they were getting in the way. I was shoving people out of the way. You know, let me watch it. <laughs> so before we get into the whole discussing of the card, um, obviously, you know, we had you on once to talk about the fight. Uh, just a couple of questions real quick before we get into that. How's the weight cut going? Weight's going good. Uh, last fight was really, I'll give the whole story behind it. I'll try and keep it brief, but, um, basically school was starting when I fought last time and my mind just really wasn't into the fight. And I started my cut two and a half weeks out at about 250 to 205 and it was just murderous i missed weight by about a pound and a half but uh this time around i just i changed my diet i was like really watching what i'm doing i'm completely hydrated i'm about 10 over right now i'm about 215 217 you know i can't complain weight cuts going great i feel great that's the thing like you know i i'm really training hard for this fight and i i'm sure it's gonna pay off so, ladies and gentlemen, the bottom line is that the Postmaster has a delivery for us Saturday, February 9th. I can't friggin' wait. Oh, my God. I am so pumped for this card. But we'll do our preview for that here in the next couple of weeks, guys. And uh, I believe Tim, the president and CEO of Cage Wars, will be joining us for that. Now, did anybody catch... Guy. Yeah, oh, I love him, too. He's a great guy. Anybody catch the uh, Fight Pass pre- or the ESPN Plus prelims, excuse me? Yeah, no, I caught everything from the Me very too. start of the card. It was amazing. Uh, there was finishes all over this card. Oh, I know. From top to bottom. There was fights where I thought for sure it was going to go one way, and it went a completely different. Uh, it just it was a phenomenal night of fights. No. Yeah, I think the, the only fight I didn't see was the, was the very first one with Kyle Stewart. I don't think I saw that one. That, I believe, was a, a submission in the first round for Chance Rencounter there. Um, I believe that's how you say it. Yeah, we're naked choke in the first round. Beautiful. Yeah, man. He set that up perfectly. It was just quick finish, nice uh, you know, nice uh, technique on it and everything. Now, the fight after that was the one that really uh, kind of broke my oh, heart. Yeah. That was a beatdown. Yeah. And it was yeah. surprising because Bilal Muhammad has amazing boxing, like really, really crisp amateur boxing and he got lit up the entire fight well see that's the crazy. thing too is training with an active to Jeff Neal. Yeah. that dude's a beast and he's built like a brick horse yeah well training with an active Louis Taylor too was one of the biggest things that helped out uh, Bilal Muhammad in this camp and that was one of the reasons that I picked him to win that fight and uh, Jeff Neal just made it look easy got the decision unanimous across the board and uh I couldn't disagree. Um, we had two thirty twenty seven. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the yeah, same. 
Same token for the next fight as Dennis Bermudez, who I believe has uh, officially announced his retirement. He did that in the post-fight interview. Yeah, um, yes, in the ring. That one broke my heart a little bit. I'm a big Dennis Bermudez fan, but at the same time, I'm happy for him because, you know, he got clipped a couple times in the last couple fights. He went on a big losing streak, um, but, you know, he was always there. I mean, you can't really name a time Dennis Bermudez had, like, a boring, boring fight. You know what I mean? He always went in there and tried to kill people. <laughs> and to win in yeah, such a, a yeah, in such a great oh. fashion. I mean, he he even won a ten eight round, I believe, through all three judges' scorecards in that fight. And to go out in that type of way, I believe, would have been the the best way for him to go out. If you want my opinion, oh, it was a it was a complete domination. The judges' scorecards were thirty twenty six. All three of them had that. Yeah. So to, to say that that was the best way for him to retire would be an understatement. And I mean, on the first or on the uh, main event of the early preliminary card for the ESPN Plus, the first event, you know, a grand stage like that, it just it couldn't have been better for him. Not too far away from home either. I'm pretty sure he's from Lindhurst. You know, it's only about an hour away from Barclays Center. So, so now, that's got to be awesome. I did miss the first fight of the prelims card. I was cooking dinner for those first two, you three did. fights. You um, didn't miss much for that one. <laughs> yeah, I heard it was a quick <laughs> Yeah, it was quick. Yeah, uh, Corey Sanhagen got him in an arm bar. It was quick. Mario Batista, I mean, we didn't get to see much of what he could bring to the octagon, but hopefully we'll get to see more of his next outing. Yeah, I think he was like 6-0 and coming into the fight, and, you know, he looked good. He looked loose. But I just think that uh, the Stan Hagen guy was just a little bit too, I don't know, I guess he was too funky for him. He pulled, like, a lot of funky stuff. I'm pretty sure he dropped him with, uh, with a straight hand, with a straight right hand, I want to say. I can't remember what the, it was a punch, I know that much. Yeah, he dropped him early in the in the fight. Yeah, and then, and then just, he got the takedown and the submission. Right. But props to Batista, though, because he snuck right out because I believe he had an armbar first. Uh, he had, oh no, he had a triangle choke locked in. And then he went to the armbar. Yeah, Batista got out and then he snapped the armbar immediately after, which was, you know, he fought out. I, I give him props. I'm pretty sure he only took that on about two weeks' notice, too. So, not too bad. <clears throat> well, the next no, fight no, not at all. was another one that really kind of. No pun Lord. intended. Kind of dropped my jaw as Alonzo Menafield needed just so under four Alonzo minutes. Alonzo Menafield's a beast. Oh, I know. He just absolutely ran through his opponent in very impressive fashion. Um, that's what he does, though. Oh, that, I know. In his exact game, he did the same thing on the Contender Series. I mean, the guy's going to be a force in the light heavyweight division. Like people really need to be worried about taking a fight with somebody like him, especially these guys who are on the lower level of the light heavyweight division, but right. through 15s, he's going to get one of those guys very soon. He's going to take their fucking head off. Yeah. Well, that seems to be what he just, you know, his MO is to go in there and just search for this knockout. And uh, I don't know if necessarily that's going to be something he'll be able to do as he climbs up the ranks of the light heavyweight division, but we will be, you know, we'll see. Um, I think he's going to have to develop patience as time goes on. Yeah, I think with him, too, you know, the light heavyweight division, I mean, compared to what it used to be, isn't really as steep as it used to be. You know, I mean, um, you know, I think everyone's writing someone like uh, Anthony Smith off, um, you know, to, to fight. Um, I just butcher his name. No, it's Anthony Smith, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I yeah, think everyone's 
Yeah, I think everyone's brushing him off to fight Jones and stuff. But if you look at, like, the top 10, top 15, you know, it's the same guys that have been around for a while. But when you have, like, Shogun Hua, I think is, like, ranked number six, though. You know, when I remember when it was, like, one through 10 was John Jones, Daniel Cormier, Anthony Johnson, Phil Davis, Ryan Bader, you know, all these guys that were just bossers. So we need more light heavyweights because, you know, a bunch of, I mean, you got like Pat Cummins, you know, Ilir Latifi. I just don't think those guys will really pose much of a challenge to someone like John Jones, but, but I'm not too sure. But uh, with someone like Alonzo who's going to go out and really give you a show, you know, that's exciting. It's like him and Dominic Reyes, I, I like them a lot. So not to uh, get off track here because you mentioned Shogun Hua, but I saw it was rumored that they're going to work on him versus Glover Teixeira next. Um, yeah, I think Glover called him out. Yeah, so that's hopefully going to be something that we'll see if the MMA gods love us, that fight will happen. Now, moving on to the next fight on the card, JoJo Calderwood, man. Now, could she look more impressive as she just rolled through the hype train of Ariane Lipsky here? JoJo 2.0. Exactly. Uh, two of the judges gave her eight rounds across the board on that unanimous 30-27 uh, 230-26. And I really, I, who can she, who's next for her other than a title shot? Is, is my question. Um, well, I think Jessica I is the next to the title shot in the flyweight division. But yeah. I definitely feel like it's a jar you think that she wants to stick around the flyweight. Yeah, I um yeah, I'm pretty sure Dana White's set in the in the medium scrum after that uh yeah, that Jessica I is getting it. Um I don't know who to give JoJo, though. Maybe give her a break for a little bit, unless she wants to keep active. I, I forget what she said in her interview, but um, I really, yeah, I don't know. That, that's what we did. The 125-pound division in the female division is just a little weird right now, I guess. I think what fight well, would really make sense would be maybe like a Lauren Murphy fight or um, maybe, yeah. like you said, Sahara Eubanks, if you want to give her somebody more up in the rankings. But I think a Lauren Murphy fight would make a lot of sense at this point. Right. And, and one thing that I really, and I didn't buy it up myself, I really hate to hold JoJo 2.0, Anik, because realistically, this is the weight class you should have been the entire time. We right. should have never seen 1.0 in strawweight, because JoJo is naturally a 125 pounder. So I feel like this is the natural Joanne Calderwood, and you're truly seeing the talent that she can put out. Oh, yeah, it's like Michael Bisping when everybody wasn't doing juice. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> But, but, you know, honestly, give JoJo uh, the former champ, Nico. There and you go. Nico fight. There you go. I think that's a good one. Give her Nico, and whoever wins that gets the next title shot for sure. I like that. Now, we're talking about what's next for these fighters. Now, that's a good conversation for the two gentlemen that, took, uh, that were in the next bout of the evening. As Donald Cerrone, who not only took home a performance of the night, but also got another $50,000 for fight of the night. In his uh, knockout win of Alexander Hernandez, what an absolutely fucking amazing performance! Is there anybody more dangerous than a fathered Cerrone? <laughs> no, yeah, Cowboys, Cowboys, he's definitely turned it up another notch here. Um, but Hernandez had uh, showed a lot of highlights in that fight. He landed a very clean uppercut in the very first round. Yeah, as long as, but you could just tell like the veteran experience of Cowboy completely overtook Alex, and um, I feel like we didn't get to hear it personally, but from what the guys in the booth were saying, that his corner didn't really give him that good of advice, especially somebody who's already hurt 
with a guy like Cowboy standing across from them. Uh, but definitely Alex showed a lot of uh, potential in this fight. But, I mean, hats off to Cowboy. He's a fucking beast. And I really want to see that uh, Conor McGregor fight, fight next. Yeah. Uh, I feel like to give, give Donald some red panty night money. Yeah, no, <laughs> the thing that I really liked that Alex said in his uh, his first official statement after his loss was that, was that the best worst thing that happened to him was that knockout in his debut. And that he, when he goes into every fight, he just sees that that's going to happen again. And he doesn't go in there to fight the whole fight. He just goes in there to, to end it in the first round. And I can't wait to see, you know, you see these guys that look great on the rise, but like, it's going to be more impressive to see how he comes back after this loss because now he's going well, to tighten I, up these holes in his game and he's going to come back an even better version of himself. Yeah, I, I talked to him after this fight. Uh, I sent him a couple text messages and we went back and forth for a second. And then I pretty much told him, you know, keep your head up. And then he just, the class and professionalism that he shows across, even just in simple text messages, is beyond his years. Uh, but one thing that definitely stuck out is he kept pointing out that, you know, we'll be back. And uh, yeah. he's going to be back better than ever, I think. And the one thing I said to him is I would hate to be that next guy that's in the cage with you. And I, I would really hate to be that next guy that has to draw Alexander Hernandez. I would, um, I'm trying to think now who to who you would give him after that. James Vick. Yeah. yeah. Texas versus I like Texas. That. I really do like that. James Vick. I, I was gonna say, I was gonna say Vic or, um, uh, you know, uh, maybe Hooker, Dan Hooker. Oh, that's but, another interesting matchup for him too. Yeah, yeah. Um, about the Trinaldo matchup that was originally supposed to take place. Right. That's well, a yeah, I like that one too. That, that that might be the next step because since it was slated, they're like, all right, let's you know, let's actually put it together now. That might be a good step. But I mean, he has nothing to be upset about. I mean, he brought. Cowboy through hell a couple times, you know. Cowboy just has kind of come back. For once, you yeah. know, I mean, he didn't get walked through for sure. Like yeah. Cowboy didn't walk through Alexander Hernandez. It no. was an easy night for Cowboy. No, I think realistically, Cowboy is he's a lot better now. But I think Hernandez just just wasn't his night. You know, um, every dog has its day. Yeah, but you know, with Cowboy, what impressed me the most is that when you notice when he gets hit and he gets pressured. He shuts down. You can see it in his eyes. He gets not scared, but he's just like, I don't know what to do. You know, a bunch of times I noticed that. And then ever since he left Greg Jackson, his stance changed. His his entire like his way of meters changed. Yeah. The one you thing know, that surprised me is that uh, Hernandez didn't attack the body. One of the biggest things that'll seem to lead to the death of a cowboy in a fight is that those body kicks. Yeah, but, uh, we didn't reach, see him. Cowboy was too much for Hernandez. That's why. Well, that yeah. too. But like, I mean, he would hit the. He had some nice body punches there uh, in the first and second round, or the start of the second round. But he wasn't using the body kicks as much as he should have been. And I believe uh, uh, Cowboy came out conventional throughout most of the fight. If I'm not wrong, I think Alex should have worked on a switch stance and came out, uh, you know, and stayed a dominant southpaw. Used that. Uh, that back leg, you know, through the kick more with that, tried to aim for that liver shot. That seems to be the best way to go through Donald Cerrone. Right. But at the same time, remember what he said. He said, you know, I, I for my debut, I knocked someone out. You know, I just expected that to happen. Yeah. So I wonder if that was a factor in it. Um, but I'm really, I always like watching him. You know, for one, he has my name, which means he's really cool. 
and uh, <laughs> and for and for two, you know, he's young. Uh, I mean, for someone like me, I think he's what twenty five. I think yeah, so. Twenty six, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm twenty one. So you know, when I see people like his age, you know, that's not too far away from me. I like watching guys like that because you have someone that's ten years younger than Cowboy that's only been doing it for maybe a quarter of the time Cowboy, if not less, and he's fighting him and hanging with him. So it's when well, I see Hernandez was in diapers when Cowboy started. Right. Oh yeah. You know, and when I'm when Good I'm watching point. him when I'm watching him, I really look up to that. It's like, wow, you know, I'm only a couple of years off from that. Maybe I can be in the UFC when I'm 26. You know, you know, you stop to think about that stuff. So, like, I, I support him. I, he gained, you know, I didn't, I honestly never so really. Could we see, like, Al Morrow versus, like, Glover Tech Sharon? I hope not, man. Have, have you ever seen how big that guy is in person? Could be like fucking huge. <laughs> huge. I went to a Naga tournament uh, to, co- you know, uh, Beef Drain, Travis? Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, he um, he said when Cowboy won because he was at the event. He said when Cowboy won, he's never heard a louder crowd before. But I went to a, a Naga tournament to go watch Travis. Uh, I didn't compete in it, and then Glover Teixeira walks by. I'm like, oh my god, I'd never seen him before. He's huge. No, <laughs> the loudest arena I've ever heard was when DJ put Ray Borg in that fucking oh my god <laughs> flying armbar thing. I bet. That was ridiculous. The arena erupted. That was bigger than when Darren Elkins knocked out fucking, what was that guy's name? Bectic, yes. See, you guys are talking that about is. the loudest, loudest arena, this, that. I think my favorite thing ever is, see, in New York, we're notorious for not liking New Jersey, I guess, would be a thing. <laughs> you know, Randall, you understand, I don't know if you understand how that is or not, but... Um, so, sports. <laughs> when, when I was at the Utica event, uh, Jimmy Rivera and Marlon Marais was the main event, and everybody flooded into Utica from Jersey to yeah. see Jimmy Rivera fight. And after Marlon Marais just fucking starts him, dude, the Adirondack the Bank thing. Center, dude, you could have heard a fucking pin drop in that summer. <laughs> like, I think I was the only one in there rooting for Marlon Marais. It was insane. It was wicked awkward, too, because I was sitting next to Jimmy Rivera's family, Kate side. <laughs> and I said, hey, you know, I'm a big fan of him. Is there any way I could, like, maybe meet him after? Like, I was being a fan. He's like, yeah, man, you know, come, come, like, come, we'll bring you to the back or something. Like, oh, that's awesome. Two seconds later, bam, he's out. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, uh, tell him, tell him I'm a big fan still when I walk off. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing is, like, Lauren Murphy, I was there to meet her and everything like that after the fight and, like, you know, I made a big stink of it on my other show and everything like that, and we had a huge interview with her and uh, blah, 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 blah. And, like, she ghosted after that, dude, because she got, you know, three rounds of just mauling by Sahara Eubanks. Yeah. And she just ghosted, like, pff, gone. Yeah. I just think the card, because Utica is, like, it's five minutes, it's five, well, ten minutes away from where I live. I live in Illion, but um, it, it kind of drove me nuts. Uh, the first two fights were like amazing, and then you had the guy slamming himself, uh, oh, knocking himself out. Yeah, we had Shorty Torres, the guy that won Shorty that fight. Torres. Yeah, yeah, shout out to our boy Shorty Torres. <laughs> and like, I was like, man, these fights are going to be awesome. And the rest of them were just kind of lackluster. Well, I think we went on five straight decisions that night, man. It was just insane. <laughs> But it wasn't like, like, oh, you know, it was a really good fight decision either. It was like, they're, they're playing it safe decision, you know what I mean? Well, what was really okay, cool for me about, was Sam Alvey's uh, about parents. bad crowds, too. 
Oh, what was yeah. the worst crowd you guys have been in? Oh, for sure. Probably um, that same UFC Utica crowd. Um, I'd say Albany. To, well, yeah, that one was bad too, man. I remember that. What fight? Uh, well, the worst one for me during the Bilal Muhammad fight, there's a guy that started talking shit to me behind me uh, during a bunch <laughs> of the fights. Because, well, Good it all started because when Bilal Muhammad walked out, these people were like, ah, fucking Muslim, USA! And I turned around and I was like, he's guys, he's fuck- yeah, that's what I said. I was like, he's from Chicago, you <laughs> fucking idiot. Dumbasses. Like, <laughs> the guy like, got all offended about it and started... Long story short, he got his wife left him at the arena. He lives in Binghamton, which I mean, you understand. That's like four hour drive from Utica. Like she's like, have fun walking to Binghamton, asshole. I overheard that. That was like an hour afterwards. So he started picking fights out the rest of the night. And like Sam Elby, his family was right next to us. So after his fight, he came over and sat down. And you heard the dudes talking shit. And he just kind of leaned over to him. He was like, "Yo, there's an easier fight on the other side of the arena. Don't talk shit to him." to this guy, all right, you know, like, just, <laughs> all right, kind of go away, because, like, Sam was like, Sam you know, awesome. oh, dude, he's the shit, I love Sam Alvey. It was funnier than hell, because I was getting a, I was getting a hot dog while I was waiting, and he walked up, and he's like, hey, man, how are you? I'm like, aren't you Sam Alvey? Didn't you just fight? You're like, yeah, I'm hungry, though. <laughs> I think my favorite thing ever is how he walked out to Soul Sister, and then just, like, yeah. shits all over people, for the most part. I don't understand how that was a split decision, first off, but. You know, the fact that Soul Sisters is walkout song is probably one of my favorite things ever. But so I've been involved in two very bad like situations where fights were very shitty, so the crowd completely turned on the fighters. Oh. The first one is the two oh nine main event. That was uh the second fight between Tyrone Woodley and Wonderboy, where they danced for about four rounds and they did a little like point fighting in the fist. Yeah. That was horrible. But I've never seen anything like what happened at 226 when Francis Ngannou fought Derek Lewis. We yeah. were doing the wave in that motherfucker. We had our flashlights out. It was ridiculous. I've never seen a crowd so, like, more interacting with the crowd than with the fight. Right. Well, how bored did we get in Utica when they told us they had a fight canceled over fucking chapped lips? I know. Like, what the fuck? We just kind of sat Oh, there yeah. Like, no. We had a fight camp. Derek Lewis, like, got out of bed wrong or some shit like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Hey, but we're getting completely off topic. Oh, I know. And Glover Teixeira took <laughs> Carl Robinson out in the first round with a nasty-ass arm triangle choke. I know, <laughs> I'm almost 40 years old. Could he have looked any better? I don't think so. And, I mean, if you're looking at the rankings on UFC.com, at this current point in time, they have not been updated. So, you know... <laughs> fucking complain about this later if you want to bitch that our rankings weren't correct but you know i think we see him fight maybe a jimmy manoa next uh i is the best fight i, I see wouldn't mind him. that at all i wouldn't For sure, yeah. still. maybe a latifi fight too maybe I, do you think in brazil you think he'll get a title shot again or no i think if he busts no. ass but i don't see him winning uh, it. I, I, mean, I think he's too old i think there's too many young guns out there if they keep going on rolls they'll get title shots over him like you uh mentioned earlier, Dominic Reyes, if he wins his next fight, who knows what's next for him. He could be very well the next person in line. You always have, I mean, within the timeline, you have DC possibly staking around and taking one more fight. Um, You have the possibility of Kane. Kane said he can make 205. I hate Vulcan Ozdemir. I hope he just fucking gets beat down into being a (laughs) gatekeeper. Fuck him. 
<laughs> there's a lot of, I mean, Corey Anderson looks very, very good at 232. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot of options out there in the light heavyweight division. And I think Glover is going to get overlooked, unfortunately. Well, you yeah. know who looked really impressive in their return back was Paige Van Zant in that second round submission <laughs> over Rachel Ostovich. Just, you know, that was a, an interesting fight to watch and uh, some neat you grappling exchanges there. And Paige just right. came out and, and finished that fight, and I wasn't expecting her to do it that way. You know, no, you know that was a good arm bar. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> You're good. Go out and out. Uh, I, I was just going to say, Rachel Ostevich's trips and, and, and body locks surprised the hell out of me. I, you know, because that's normally Paige Van Zandt's thing. She'll strike you, and then when you tie up with her, she seems like a pain in the ass to deal with. But she was just tossing around like a ragdoll in the first round. We'll see. So when the second round came, I was just like, oh, well, there's, there's the armor. <laughs> I was making Chinese food for dinner the night of the fights. And so I've got like a walk on the stove, and I'm going all, you know, fucking crazy. Iron Chef making food, and I'm watching this first round of fights, and I'm trying to make, uh, it was vegetable fried rice as I'm going crazy with the walk and stirring it up and flipping it up in the air. I'm watching these grappling exchanges and threw half the fucking walk all over the floor. It was like one of the reverses. Oh, look at this, and all over. There it went. That was that. So that nice. fight cost me, you know, about what would have been at a Chinese restaurant, about $6 in veggie fried rice, but well worth it. Now, it was definitely a good fight. I'm seeing they've booked some more flyweight fights. They just announced one booked into March, so I do have some hope that Joseph Benavidez will realize a title shot over his three-round decision win over Dustin Ortiz. That was the, I've never seen so many scrambles. Oh, I know. Holy hell. Totally. So many scrambles. I mean, like, Benavides drops him, and then if Ortiz finally gets, like, the leg up, Benavides gets a takedown, Ortiz does a switch, somehow Benavides does a flip over him, and then turns into, like, a snake, and just turns all, and wraps him up. It's like, what in the hell? How? <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Fuck a repeat of the main event. That's the fight I want to see next for Henry Cejudo would be a Joseph Benavides, especially considering he has that win over Henry Cejudo. So I think a rematch is what's <laughs> next there. Yeah. Take take a groin shot out of there, and Henry Cejudo beats Joseph Benavidez three I times three. I thought Cejudo won. To be honest, I didn't think he lost that fight. Oh, that's I what really I mean. see. This is all the arguments we need for that rematch right there. See, this is all stuff we can be talking about in the but future like, on a yeah, preview like show. You pointed out last week on paper, Joseph Benavidez has a victory over Henry Cejudo. Exactly. <laughs> now, the another guy who has looked absolutely phenomenal. The pride of New oh York lately, man, and fishing expert Gregory Gillespie goes out and just absolutely yeah. mauled the anti Maderos. This might be yeah. a far stretch, but give him Kevin Lee next. Yeah. Ooh. Give him Kevin Lee. I want to see. Ooh. I know. That's why I'm so, because I'm wondering, because I think Kevin Lee, obviously, uh, I Quinta beat him. I think when Kevin Lee gets you down, I think he's worse than Habib because all he does is he just he doesn't like just pressure you. He tries to kill you. Well, like, I thought oh, yeah, he, he tries to murder you while you're down there. Like, Gregor did have a had staff. He'd be the interim lightweight champion. Well, oh, see, for sure. Gregor did have a number next to his name. He was tied with Islam Makachev at 15. Yeah. So I mean right. that that uh, that uh, Kevin Lee fight. I mean, yeah. At this point in time, currently he is you know ten above him in that. 
But what about him versus Hernandez? That would be another. Ooh, do you think yeah, they would yeah. make it because it would take it would potentially kill one of their young guns? Yeah. Right. But do you think they would make it right now? But or do you that's think really it's, and possibly do that fight with a title on the line later. That wouldn't. Maybe. I just wonder. Like, I mean, you're also talking about a guy that beat Jordan Bur- that beat Jordan Burroughs five times in college. Oh yeah. And Gregory Gillespie. Yeah. He's no joke. I mean, he won nationals over Jordan Burroughs. Well, just, and, and then obviously Jordan Burroughs came back and, and kicked his ass a couple of times. But you you got to wonder with someone like Kevin Lee or someone like Habib and all those guys. I mean, Gregor, I mean, 155 has always been so stacked. But then you got to think everyone he, now. Talking about and, hanging it up soon, though. Well, I think yeah. if, if Gregor Gillespie can go on a four-fight win streak, you know, throughout this year, get another, you know, three fights in, get another couple of guys, jump up the rankings, and really tune himself into this, you know, extremely well-rounded fighter, he could be the answer to who can beat Khabib. Yeah, that's why I say give him Kevin Lee. Because if, if he can hold Kevin Lee down, like he's held everyone else down and just smack him the way he's been doing it, he's basically like Ben Askren, only he's just a little bit more offensive once he gets down. Yeah. He, he really is. He, does, he really rarely gets hit. He rarely gets hit. <clears throat> now, let's move on to the, because uh, we're getting short on time here, let's move on to the co-main event of the evening, which ended with as much controversy, just as, you know, maybe as the main event did. I don't Greg know. Greg Hardy... Of all things, showed his inexperience. Yeah, if anything, that's the way I look at it. I don't think it was an intentional thing. I mean, there's so many, th- you know, so many different uh, conclusions you can draw here. Was it intentional? I, you know, I watched the the post fight press conference and I saw Greg Hardy sit there and say, "Have I ever cheated? Have I ever lied to you?" He got offended when they said, "You know, was it something that you intentionally did?" A lot of people say you're cheated. No, he did not cheat, and I believe that. I Me believe too. that. Greg Hardy just, you know, I think it was either he kind of got caught up in the moment and wasn't paying attention, and it all, yeah, you guys are right, it all goes back to that inexperience. You know, he got caught up in the moment, didn't see that his opponent wasn't, you know, he thought his opponent was considered an up opponent, you know, not grounded, and he threw the knee. But I think what we saw in Greg Hardy in that fight definitely shows that he can be a force to be reckoned with if he can kind of get that fight IQ up. Not only can he throw heavy hands, but he can take a punch, his uh, offensive... Uh, grappling wasn't too bad. His defensive grappling wasn't too bad. And I really think that he could turn into a star if he could just learn whether not to throw fucking knees. See, what a lot of people aren't thinking about, too, about this whole situation is it was his fourth professional fight. Not right. only was it his fourth professional fight, he was the co-main event of one of the biggest UFC cards of all time. And right. they had to make a big statement. I mean the nerves and the pressure that were not only just on him, but on Alan Crowder as well. I mean, he made a mistake, and it's as simple as that. And you're not going to fucking beat him up over it harder than he's beating himself up. And you know what? That mistake cost him his perfect record, and that's, you know what I mean? So, at the end of the day, yeah, he fucked up, but it cost him his perfect record. We'll see how he comes back now. Who do you give him next? Um, give him, uh, man, what's his name? I know he called him out. I actually like the fight. It's, uh, the runner-up of the last, uh, Ultimate Fighter. Oh, yeah. That, oh, um, yes. I know who you're talking about. Makes sense. Justin something, I think. Yeah. Yes. yes. He called him out. I'll take him out. I'll take him out. 
I think that would be the no, good I think way to that go. Makes sense. I think we should yeah. see him run the Ultimate Fighter house anyway, just for shits and giggles to see how he would do. No, I don't think you could put somebody like him in the Ultimate Fighter house. I mean, I would, I'm sure they would love it for the ratings. Yeah. I just don't think he would do it. Yeah. You got Kimbo that way. You're not going to get him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that his soul. God rest his soul. Yeah, fucking poor guy. Now, I still forget about that. Damn. Yeah. Fucking Kimbo, poor man. Uh, what a beast. They're doing a movie. They're doing a movie? A Kimbo movie, yes. Oh, that's going to be badass. Well, now, that's the, uh, the main, like the bad guy in the beginning of the, uh, what is that? The Black Panther? Like the tribal guy? Yeah. That guy's going to be playing Kimbo. Didn't see that movie, but I'll have to check that out. I don't watch a lot of movies, so that's my own, you know. <laughs> don't even really get into the documentaries so, on Netflix. So the main event. Though. Yeah. Now, um. let me just say this. And you know what? <laughs> At Dad Bod Ben on Twitter, Ben Field on Facebook, you can't fucking miss me. Now you can find me and call me out. If you think that that was a bad stoppage, then you are a casual fan. And yes, the reason that I'm going you. to say that is because the job of the ref is to protect the fighter at all times. And when yes. somebody is... Go- he would have eaten... It doesn't matter if he was going for the legs. Henry Cejudo would have landed another 10, 15 shots and, and would have put him out. And you know what I mean? It hey. doesn't matter. No, Randall, you can't argue with me on this one. I don't care. No, 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 no. I'm going to tell you this straight up. If TJ Dillashaw thinks that for some reason it wasn't a finish then he didn't beat fucking Cody the first time. That's what I mean. Yeah. Or the, what was it, the second? Yeah. It's as simple as that. I don't understand what TJ's even bitching about. Like, I understand that he's like, he he even came out, he's like, well, I never said I was a good loser. Yeah. <laughs> so you're such a bitch. So you're, that's a cop-out. Like, you got a 26-year-old kid showing you up on how to lose. Right. You're the uh, you're bantamweight champion of the world. Arguably the greatest bantamweight champion of the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Other bantamweights have came out like Martin Rice, and he made a statement that said, I'm ashamed to be in this division because my champion, quote-unquote champion, went down and got knocked out in a couple of seconds. Let me say this, though. Dana White really pissed me off when he talked about that because, oh, Kevin McDonald's an inexperienced ref, but he was good enough to fucking main event. You know what I mean? You're... You had no problem signing off on that to fuck it when the commission handed you that paper. You had no fucking problem signing off saying, yeah, it was fine for him to be the referee of the main event, your 25th anniversary card. And let me say this. I text Kevin McDonald, uh, it was yesterday, today being Wednesday, uh, or Tuesday the 22nd, excuse me. And uh, I texted him yesterday and just said, you know, for the record, I agreed with your stoppage. He would have eaten another 10, 15 shots had you not called it. And yes. Just... How gracious this guy is while he's in the like, spotlight. Did they die in there? <laughs> like, what do they want? Like, do they want to just go out? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, you bitch when fucking Yamasaki lets people die. You know yeah. what I mean? But and, and the, but the way that Kevin responded really made me even more of a fan. He just said, "Thanks, Ben." Sometimes the ref has to be the bad guy. Like he doesn't. Yeah. It's not getting to him. Because he understands that his job is to protect the fighters. And if you don't like it as a fan, then that's your issue. You know, that brings me to, you know, obviously I, it was on an amateur level, but 
I fought Tim Crock and I lost I lost that fight and he was the first person to to knock me down. I got up and I was throwing punches and uh, he hit me once or twice more and Mike Walter the ref stopped it and I protested. I was like, "Why are you stopping it?" And he looked at me and said, "Don't you want to go to school on Monday and not be brain dead?" No, exactly. And, that, and when he said that, you know, I had never talked to the guy, but he knew stuff about me. He said, I see you're, a, you know, you're a, on the Dean's list. You're on the wrestling team. He said, don't you want to, don't you want to go back with health? Yeah. And I'll always, so whenever a ref stops it, unless it's completely like, like, why are you still like, like, you know, I didn't tap. Why are you stopping it? But when you see that they're caring for people, you know, I, I didn't know anything. I didn't even know his name was Mike. The first time I met him, Mike, Mike Walter, you know, last, uh, is another thing he drew con- controversy from was Cody Dickershade. His last fight, he got kicked in the head and he was out. He was out. He got up, but he was unconscious, you know, and Mike stopped it and the crowd's booing him. I'm like, did you not see him go out? You know what I mean? So when TJ got dropped the two times, I mean, if he if he had gotten back up, who knows? And he's like, "Oh well, Cody hurt me worse in the first fight." Well, clearly not, because you got up and you beat his ass. You, yeah. you couldn't do that against Cejudo. Cejudo and, and the one up. thing too is is these refs have a better advantage point than all of us. Yeah, yeah and not for nothing. Point, then the cameras can show you if he's good enough to be on the ABC's fucking. If he was good enough to divide, be part of the board that fucking devised the new rules of mixed martial arts, then he's good enough yeah. to ref your fucking fight. All right, TJ. Yeah. So. Take your fucking might all, bro, and quit your bitching, because you really are, you just look like a bitch right now. Complaining yeah. makes you look like the biggest pussy, because you, you lost. And, and you know what, too? I mean, fuck TJ. Let's talk about Henry, because this was his moment. Yeah. And Henry whooped his ass, and Henry saved the flyweight division. Henry hope. is now the fucking king of the flyweight division. Can you imagine how good it is to be Henry? And also, too, <laughs> on top of it, on his flight home, he, hooked, he was sitting next to one of the Bella twins. Ricky Bella. Now they're about to be going out to dinner next week or some shit like that. So this man just taking W's everywhere. That's Dude, right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm happy because I always liked Suhudo because as a, as a wrestling fan, I knew who he was from, uh, from Beijing and stuff. Um, so when I saw him fight, I'm like, oh, hey, I know Henry Suhudo. He won the gold. And, I mean, when he beat, when he beat DJ, I was happier than hell for him. When he beat TJ, I was happier than hell for him. And then on top of it, he scores one of the hottest chicks on the, on the fucking planet. And you're sitting there like, what else? What else could go good for Henry Cejudo? Oh, he won the he won the lottery too. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, while we're at it, he's got a 12 inch dick. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think John Cena can't do shit because TJ Henry just beat his ass. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like he's gonna yeah, I'm, for fucking, I'm gonna take a big old snake and pound it at the fucking lands. I'm gonna go in there and beat this guy's ass. I'm gonna sit next to a girl on a plane, get a number. And you know what, <laughs> dude? He's probably gonna go home and like what she's still married, you guys said? No. Oh, I was gonna say no. he, he's probably gonna bang her in front of her family. Like <laughs> whatever. Whoa, like, yeah. That went dark for a second. He there. could do it. All yeah, Abdul Aziz will set that <laughs> up, dude. Ali's got I mean, connects. crazy too. You know, you got to be happy for him because his, his house burnt down. A bunch of his shit that lost he lost his metal a half a dozen times. <laughs> yeah, you know, like things got stolen from him. His house got broken into and all that stuff. He lost. I, you know, still a controversial loss to uh to Joseph Benavides. I mean, when you want to talk about that guy, driving a Bentley, he's fine. 
Yeah. You know, if, if you want to talk about someone that really shows you what improvement looks like, look just two years, two, three years ago when he exactly. fought DJ. The and then up and down. It's crazy. It's he's crazy. Going leaps and bounds. Imagine what he's going to be like in two, three years. I know. So let's ask the, uh, the question of the evening to wrap things up here, guys. UFC on ESPN, the whole partnership, the ESPN Plus platform. Yay or nay? How do you guys feel about it? I personally am a fan. I love the whole production aspect. I love every part about it. And I really look forward to seeing what the future brings. What do you guys think? I agree. I enjoy it all. Um, the ESPN Plus package is $5 a month. I mean, that's nothing. You'll spend, if I you mean, do it monthly, it's 60 bucks a year. You spend that on one fucking pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, I spend so much money on UFC pay-per-views, it's ridiculous. And like every month, I order the pay per view. My fucking bank. I looked it up the other day. The bank sees the UFC as a monthly recurring charge. <laughs> These bitches. <laughs> that's some shit. No, that's some that's, accurate shit. Like, but it's know. five ninety. It's five bucks. Five bucks. They don't go to lunch one day during the work week. You got yeah. your five bucks right there. You have right. your ESPN Plus. It's like two, three I cards. Think they a have month a yearly on one it too. right now. That's like fifty bucks a year it's or something. Worth it. Yeah. Worth it. If you, you can't awesome. afford that, then like don't stop ordering those real dolls online. All right. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's uh, it's cheaper than Fight Pass too. It's honestly. a lot That's cheaper and it's better. You get yes, there's more is. fights on there. Yeah. And not even just that, if you're a stick and ball kind of guy too, there's other sports on there as well. Nice. Oh yeah. A bunch. I mean ESPN's the leader in sports. Oh, for sure. But, I mean, so here we are. I mean, we've recapped the card, man, and I, I want to thank you for coming on and, and tearing it hey, up with you. us. Um, and I'll <laughs> give you the same opportunity we give everybody, man. You want to give those shout-outs to any uh, friends, family, coaches, or sponsors before we hit the switch here? So, so I give a shout-out to, uh, to all my coaches and stuff, but there's one person that I got to give a shout-out to. Uh, my wrestling captain, James Bethel, is looking like an absolute monster right now. Um, you know, I mean, his, he, he only lost his first match. He got scored on for the first time, uh, this entire season. He had been running through all nationally ranked guys. And then he faced a D2 returning national champ and lost by a point in triple overtime. You know, uh, he's going to take the, he's going to take the medal this year. I'm really excited. Uh, you know, I couldn't ask for a better captain and I couldn't ask for a better teammate. You know, I mean, we, we killed each other earlier in the room today, so so I always got to give a shout-out to where uh, credit's due to James Bethel. Let's go win it for O-State. Let's go. <laughs> Hell, yeah, man. Well, Al, dude, seriously, thank you for taking the time out of this camp. I know we're getting close to the fight, so, you know, every minute counts when you get close. Anytime, bro. But, dude, thank you again for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, the Postmaster, Al Morrow. Are you looking for a new MMA website to check out? Then get over to MMARecords.com. For the latest news, analysis, videos, in-depth blogs, fighter interviews, and more. From the local shows to the UFC, MMARecords.com has you covered. You can find MMA Wreckage on social media, on Twitter, at MMA Wreckage, or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MMA Wreckage. So stay up to date with all things MMA at MMARecords.com. All right, and welcome back, guys. Joining us today, we had his opponent on last week. Cody Dickershade was uh, our guest last week. Joining us today, though, is his opponent, Kyle Kaler. He is fighting in the featherweight fight. 
uh, Saturday, February 9th, the Cage Wars 40 Night of Champions. I believe this is an undercard fight. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it is not title fight. Now, it's one of the more higher-hyped uh, non-title fights of the evening. From what I'm hearing, a lot of hype placed behind you going into this fight. Um, coming off that loss to Derek Ellis, who's in the featherweight title fight, I believe, at Cage Wars 40. There's a lot of people that want to see how you're going to come back from that. And um, I'm definitely on that, uh, you know, in part of that group of people that wants to see exactly what preparations and changes you're making going into this fight. Now, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I'm going into this fight, you know, knowing that I'm going to win, you know, um, how I'm going to bounce back from it, you know, just like a phoenix through the ashes, man, you know, I, uh, you know, just reborn, man, that's the best way I can put it. Um, as for different for preparing for this, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really doing anything too different because um, the fight with Derek, man, I felt like, you know, I, you know, despite the loss, I was controlling the fight, you know, I took him down, um, when he tried to, I believe he was going for a hip throw from what it looked like. Um, I know I outstruck him. Um, it's just, uh, when he managed to catch me in that triangle, uh, third time around, I couldn't get out of it. Um, but as you know, not, not taking anything away from him, you know, he earned it, but yeah, I'm kind of just keeping everything the same, you know, cause, um, it, it works. I don't really see anything different that I have to do, uh, for this fight coming up. Well, see, that was the one thing I noticed in the fight against Derek Ellis is um, he did seem to shake off a lot of your shots that you landed, and the ones that you landed were clean, and they did seem to hurt him. There was a few of them that I thought I saw his legs start to buckle. So I really, you have some heavy hands for uh, a featherweight, if you want my opinion on that. Now, well, thanks, man. You, uh, you have some bo boxing experience you were telling us off the air. Uh, talk to us more about some of the, you said it was in your younger years. Talk to us about your boxing experience. Well, uh, yeah, it just, I started when I was a little younger. Um, I'm going to say around 15. Had my first fight when I was 16. Um, man, I, I almost pissed myself. I was so nervous. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I just uh I had under 10 fights. I want to say I actually had, yeah, I had seven fights, um, you know, winning five of them, losing two of them. So I had a pretty good record with that being younger. Um, I, I did stop though, because, uh, I went into, uh, the service and, um, the way, you know, anybody who's active duty knows, you know, uh, that, uh, it's, it's the service first, you know, um, is work first. And then anything else is just a, um, uh, I guess I guess the um I can't even think of the word. Not even an afterthought, <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 basically on your time, you know. So whenever you have time, uh, you do it on your own time. Other than that, you're you're working nonstop. If it was your life before, now it's a hobby. And let me just say, from all of us here at <laughs> MMA Wreckage, man, thank you for your service. Um, yeah, and that really, you know, that shows that you know. I figured you were a vet, you know, with the toughness that you show in that cage. Now. One of the things that I like to ask a lot of these guys from uh, MVMMA, because that is one of the top MMA training or uh, facilities in our area. If it, It's the top in the upstate CNY area. Duff Holmes puts together a phenomenal fight camp for every guy that steps into that facility. Uh, I guess the two questions I have for you out of that are, what is it like to train with such a, a legend of the area in Duff, Duff Holmes? And how much has the move to the new facility benefit you in this training camp versus, you know, the old facility for the Derek Ellis training camp? Um, well, training with Duff is like none other, man. Um, he, 
I don't, I mean, I, I trained at a couple, you know, gyms, like, uh, throughout my time, you know, being in the service and, you know, just kind of like growing up throughout the years. Um, he blends it so well because it's an MMA gym and I tell people that and they're like, oh yeah, no shit. Well, I kind of like explain it further. Uh, most gyms they'll do, um, you know, for example, like six to seven is like jujitsu, seven to eight Muay Thai. And then, you know, uh, after that, you know, do whatever. What he does, man, so well is that he, um, creates every situation a uh, mixed martial arts situation call it call it like chains if you want to like you know you strike okay you can strike and then you throw this kind of strike let's say you throw like a, a right hand you go with it there's a single leg you take them down okay uh and then look for submissions from there we just do a lot of chains and i know that right there is very effective um you know he's been doing it for 20 plus years now and uh you know, just, and he's been in the UFC. He, uh, you know, used to train Matt Hamill. Um, so training under a person, you know, under a guy that, that's been to the top level, it, it's, it's, you want to make him proud because you want to get him back there. And that's what I aim to do. So it, it, it's awesome, uh, just being with there with him and, uh, everybody I train with. Um, as far as the new place, the new place, um, it, it's a lot bigger. It, 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 it's, it's like something off a fucking movie. Um, it, it, uh, I know ever since we moved to the new place, there's a lot more, um, people come to the class, a few new guys, of course, you know, but that's the goal, um, you know, to get more people involved. So the classes are bigger. Um, there's not really too much, uh, uh, um, you can really trap people on the wall. So, uh, your wrestling has to be, uh, really good. Um, cause you can't rely on the wall to help, uh, with the takedowns as much. Um, overall, it's just, um, you feel a sense of pride when you walk in there because you know, we, uh, we moved to, like I said, to a better facility and just, uh, um, every day is just a blessing to be there. So, uh, like Ben pointed out earlier, you're fighting, uh, Cody Dickerson. Yep. We spoke to him earlier on, uh, in our week. What would you say about him saying that he has better hands than you and that he could take you on the ground? He could take the fight anywhere he wants. And he can take you out. Well, it's good, man. You know, I mean, he's supposed to have confidence in, in himself. You know, if he, uh, I wouldn't want to fight a guy who doesn't believe that he, you know, that he can win or dominate the fight, um, in, in, in any aspect, you know. So that right there, you know, uh, you know, I do like, um, I guess almost appreciate that. So I don't want to, I don't want to fight a guy that, oh, well, I suck. You know, I don't want to do this. I don't think I can do that. I want a guy at his best mentally and physically. Um, what I personally think though, um, I, I, I definitely have the, uh, the advantage in, in any aspect of this. I believe, uh, I'm definitely going to win this fight, uh, standing, sitting, kneeling, um, on my, whether I get on my back, he's on his back. I'm, I'm definitely uh, taking the W home this, uh, this fight. What have you done to prepare to make sure you get this W? Um, like I said earlier, just kind of keeping everything the same, um, Taking out his tendencies that he that he um, tends to do and uh, exposing them and uh, to to him, um, been practicing a lot of uh, um, movements, um, a lot of uh, counters that uh, he leaves himself open for. So um, pretty much that's like I guess you could say the only different thing is because it's a different opponent. Other than that, just everything the same, same as usual. Now you guys, how's your weight? Yeah, that was one of the things I was going to ask, too, is that weight cut. How's your weight coming on? 
Oh man, it's awesome. <laughs> it's honestly. Do you cut a lot of weight at all? Not really, because um, I don't really like it too much. So what I do is I just, you know, I just, I just eat right, like weeks out in advance. So that way, um, if I do have to cut, it's under, it's ten pounds or less that I'm cutting. You know, um, so it, it's so not really. Smart yeah, smart. I, I hate. Trust me, I hate. You know, I hate the weight cutting. I hate not. You know, being able to eat. You know, being hungry. So I take care of myself beforehand. You know, and I have a cheat meal. You know, here and there, uh, throughout the. You know, like once a week maybe. But for the most part, man. You know, I, I, I like to eat clean. You know, there's nothing. There's nothing like good food that makes you feel good. You know. Who needs a nutritionist? Yeah, yeah. I um. Uh, <laughs> I actually, it's funny you say that. Actually, I plan on going to uh, become one if uh, if this doesn't work out, you know. So that that'd be nice. I say you well, get the. Is it something that you've looked into? Yeah, you know, for like, I mean, not like too heavily, you know. It's, it's something that interests me, you know, just because it's it's uh, something that everybody, you know, should do at least a little bit, you know. Um, and that and it is it, always it's always evolving, you know, like. Ten years ago, no one's like heard of like the you know the, the keto diet. Now everybody's like on this keto crave, you know. Um, and you know, next thing you know, there's gonna be like something that says eat all the sugar you want, you know. Um, just take this, and I mean that's just an example, but you know, it, it's always it's always changing. It's always changing. Don't start um, a trend now, Kyle. No, 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 no. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. No, no, man. But you know, it, it, it's cool. Kids you know, these days eat Tide Pods. They'll do anything. Yeah, hey, in that in that case, then uh, I heard uh, I heard cyanide's pretty good, so give that a shot. <laughs> the cotton candy in the attic's fucking great. That's what I, I saw the video of that dude that fucking dabbed a Tide Pod. That was ridiculous. But before we get off track and and fuck up this whole process here, like now the one thing that a lot of people think that uh, Cody Dicker Shade brings to the table here uh, that he's going to have the advantage is with the fight IQ and the experience. Um, in particular, the grappling. How do you think you are going to uh, fare against him with the grappling? Um, grappling. Honestly, um, he could surprise me because I, I watched you know a few of his fights and I didn't really see too much of it. He likes to he likes to stand and throw. I mean, his last fight, um, I do believe he it, it did get stopped you know lower, prematurely. Um, so I can't really even say anything about that because it lasted like ten seconds. But um, uh, the fight before that, uh, he uh, you know I, I didn't really see too much grappling. I know he got ta- I know he got taken down. Um, did, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if he managed to get up or if that was the end of the end of the round. I'm not. I don't remember too well. But um, uh, I haven't really seen too much of it. So I mean, I'm I'm not really worried about it, but I'm also not doubting it either. Um, and with his whole high, his, uh, fight IQ and his experience, that right there I'm definitely taking into consideration because I think he's got 20 fights around there or something like that. Um, so he definitely does have that factor, which makes him uh, which makes some him more tight fights too. Oh, some more tight. Oh, I, I see. I, I didn't even know that. Um, yeah, that, that's I didn't even know that right there. But like I said, I'm confident enough in all my abilities. I know I'm gonna I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna I'm gonna take the W that night. And as far as this stage that you're on, Cage Wars, they seem to be the premier uh, amateur mixed martial arts organization of the East Coast. 
at least in my opinion. Are there plans to go to other organizations, or do we stay here with Cage Wars? Honestly, um, I'm not really too sure, man, because like you said, I and I do agree with you when you said that they're like the premier uh, amateur promotion in, in, you know, in the East Coast, because like they're 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 really good. They they're like a professional amateur is the best way like I, I can put it you know they they do everything just like the pros was you know everything from everything to yeah to like to like that for like the pictures the you know even like the interviews we're doing right now to so the fucking hotel rooms the the hook the fires up at the buffet and everything um you know and they you know they even record the videos they have uh you know Kyle uh and you know um announcing and everything uh or commentating I mean um it, it's just, it's just, you know, I really don't see any other place that's going to be like that. Um, I mean, I did fight for Gladius, my second fight. Um, so, honestly, man, I just, you know, I just like to fight. I want to get the experience. So, if, uh, if there's another promotion there that shows, like, they could have a good fight um, for me, I'll take it. Um, but right now, I believe Cage Wars is the one that has, like, the best talent in it, personally. And uh, just another question. Are you going to change the battery in that smoke detector? <laughs> honestly, <laughs> man, I, uh, I honestly, I, I, it just goes off so much, man. I, I honestly don't even hear it anymore. I tuned it out. I just yeah, felt I, like I you were a dick about that. I'm I sorry. tuned it out after about the third beep too. Yeah, like I Vinny's, honestly, so. I, I have, you know, I have like a couple, you know, uh, friends come over sometimes. They're like, man, you're, you know, your battery's going out. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Like, I just picked up on it. <laughs> yeah, that shit's been going out. Yeah, <laughs> I just heard I, it. I, I honestly, man, I. Like, if someone points it out, I'll hear it, but other than that, just auto-tune right off, man. Now, there, like I said, there's a lot of hype behind this fight, uh, particularly behind you, because a lot of people want to see, you know, obviously you're training at one of the better gyms in our area and in the state, um, you know, coming off that loss to such a, a tough opponent and going into this fight with somebody experienced. What do you say to the people that may be doubting you heading into this fight? Yeah, well, I mean, it's either you don't like me or you're a fan of Cody. Um, that's you know, that's cool. I mean, you can't have the good without the bad, you know, or you know, or the anything like that. There's always going to be those who doubt you. There's always going to be those who um, you know, think you're not you're not going to win, that you're not good enough. I mean, that's just part of life, man. So honestly, I I really don't care because you know they can think what they want, people can say what they want, but it all comes down to. Uh, you know, when, without a little cliche here, but when that cage door closed and uh, um, the fight starts, that's the only time. That's the only thing that matters, right there. So, fuck them. I absolutely. Now, do love you it. have an official prediction for this fight? Uh, I know he likes to stand and bang, man. So if we stand and bang the whole time, I'm, I'm predicting I'm going to take him out in the first round. And you know, that's that's Ooh. with like all due respect, right there, to him. Um, but yeah, I just don't, I honestly just don't see it, uh, getting past the first round. If he wants to stand and strike, you know, that's, that's just what I personally think. Now, we can't wait to see it. It's going to be at Cage Wars 40, Rivers Casino. I'm excited. Ben, aren't you? Oh, dude, uh, no, I'm, I can't wait. I'm going to be there, man. I'll see you the night of the weigh-ins. Um, one question that I had before we go. What do you feel are your keys to victory for this fight? Uh, use my, uh, use my, my, um, definitely use my reach because I know I'm, a, I'm the taller guy, so I'm going to do that. 
keep them at a distance or keep myself at a distance if I have to. Um, look for those counters uh, I know I can set up. Um, he said, just uh, just pick them apart and just um, exploit the uh, exploit his tendencies and um, whatever he gives me. If he gives me uh, if he gives me a takedown, I'll take it. If he gives me a submission, a submission, I'll take it. Uh, if he gives me a fucking knockout, you know, I'll take it, you know, I'm going in there, um, it said just to win at any, at any cost, um, I mean, I don't really see me losing it unless he collected, like, the Infinity Stones or something, and, you know, um, so, I'm looking, I'm excited, I'm looking to go in there and just win and get a beer right afterwards. Hell yeah, man, well, I'll tell you what, I'll be at that after party either way, so... We'll see uh, you. Um, actually, I had one more thing before we get to yeah. the shout-outs. Can I get your scenarios for this fight, win, loss, or draw? What's next uh, for you, win, loss, or draw? Um, shit, man. Just uh, <laughs> take a take a week off, uh, you know, lightly, eat some food, and uh, get right back to training, man. Um, I, I don't... You know, I'm going to keep pushing forward, man. You know, I'm going to keep fighting. Because the amateurs, man, it's just all about experience. Um, so I'm just going to keep pushing and pushing and keep fighting, man. Looking for the next fight one after another until uh, uh, I plan on doing this until until I can't anymore. Uh, whether How many fights would you like to take in 2019? Shit, man. At least, at least four. At least four. Well, I know I'd love to be there for all of them, man. And that's the thing. And, like, like I always say is, and this is the one thing here, it, there's a lot of things that uh, makes a successful fighter. And the one thing that I think makes the fighter the most successful is their heart. And that's just as important as their skill. If you have that never-say-die attitude, you will go everywhere in the sport that you want to go as long as you're willing to put in that work. And I think that you definitely have that never-say-die attitude. And I'm really looking forward to seeing this fight on February 9th, man. Best yes, of luck to you. And Thanks, uh, before we wrap this up, I'll give you your opportunity to give uh, shout-outs to your family, friends, sponsors, coaches, and anything like that. All right. Uh, first off, first off, I want to thank uh, Duff Holmes, you know, my, uh, my trainer. I want to be here without you, man. Um, sometimes I don't know if that's good or bad. But I love you, man. Thank you for everything. Um, and I'm not going to disappoint you come the ninth. Um, to all my teammates, you know, you guys are the reason um, I, I improve every time. Uh, every day you guys push me and I push you. So thank you again. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to my brother, uh, Johnny. You know, you're the man. Um, come, you come to my fights. You, you support me. I love it, man. Uh, my sisters, my mom, uh, and my boy, of course, uh, Kenny Schmo, uh, fucking man bun, fuck it, cut it off, man. Um, and last but not Don't least, cut it off, bro. <laughs> just throw it long. My uh, last but not least, my my boy, uh, Porno Mike. Uh, you the man? Come uh, come see someone get fucked, bro. I know you like it. So, as far as the man bun goes, like definitely either cut it off or go with something more respectful like a brony tail and like the fucking leather jacket. I want to know about porno Mike. Yeah, that was the other question <laughs> I had. What the fuck, porno Mike? Oh, man. My, uh, my man, porno Mike. No, I just, it's this guy I know for a long time, man. Uh, I swear, every time I see him, he's talking about 
he's gonna finger some chick's asshole or every time I see him he's always talking about how he's gonna fuck the fat bitch tonight if he can't you know yeah. uh, get, you know everyone's got a porno mic in their crew oh uh, he, he is he, <laughs> oh, he's no. the one man but the thing is man he never goes home alone so I'll give him that oh. I'll give him that Shout out to Porno Mike. Dude, my group's man. Porno Mike was missing his pinky finger. You always used to say a ringy in the dinghy, but... Oh, oh man. man, that <laughs> just makes you cringe. Yeah, so, dude, I kind of... Right now. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to go throw up about something else, but thank you for <laughs> taking the time to join us today. I really appreciate it, man. Good luck out there on February 9th. Cage Wars 40, the Night of Champions. Tickets are still available at cagewars.com or cagewarsny.com. Kyle, dude, seriously, we appreciate you taking the cha- uh, the time, and we'll look forward to meeting you out there. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I can't wait to see you guys. All right. Be safe. Ladies and gentlemen, All Kyle right, Kaler. Hey, what's happening, everyone? This is Dave Manley, founder of MMA Bobblehead, and you're listening to Randall and Ben from MMA Wreckage Radio. At this time, I have Cage Wars welterweight champion, Jake Davis. He's going to be taking on Rambo Randy, Randy Lamb for the welterweight title at Cage Wars 40. Jake, how you doing today? Good, man. Thanks for the intro. I'm doing well. So like we've uh, already stated, you are the defending welterweight champion. Uh, how do you, what have you done to look forward to this title defense? What have I done for this title defense? Uh, yes. You know, just like every fight, you got to prepare. You got to prepare mentally, physically. As MMA fighters, we have a lot of different facets to focus on. There's tons of stuff you can be working on. It's, it's kind of a overall, you're always growing in all different areas. But uh, one thing as fighters we do a lot of is conditioning. So I've been doing a lot of conditioning, a lot of grappling, a lot of boxing, a lot of kicking, all that good stuff. Is there any areas that you're focusing on for Randy? Um, not particularly. No, it's, uh, I understand his style. He's a grappler. He likes to wrestle. I've been wrestling my whole life. My first wrestling tournament, I was uh, five, maybe six years old in first grade. So the only thing I'm doing for Randy, just like everybody else, making sure my conditioning's really on point. Because if he wants to wrestle for three rounds... That shit gets really tiring. So I'm, I'm prepared to do a lot of grappling, a lot of close, up close in your face action. So it's going to be a really tiring fight. Good pace is what I predict. Now, one question that I have um, in particular after watching you know, all the fights that you have had, with this last fight being your first setback, what plans do we have to, uh, or what adjustments do we make going into this fight from the last one? Great question. Uh, the first adjust- adjustment I made is a mental shift. I've never been defeated up until that fight. I have never even been hit. So I got a little complacent and I would even say a little arrogant. I thought I was, you know, superhuman. I didn't think anybody could hit me. I didn't think anybody could stop a takedown attempt. And what that fight showed me was all those things are possible. I'm very human. So uh, it was a mental shift, you know, really kind of woke me up. I just trained harder, honestly. You go undefeated, it's hard not to get comfortable. You start you start thinking a little delusional about what other people can do, you know. So that was a really good uh, wake-up call. 
and it was a learning experience. You know, you gotta you gotta lose here and there if you really want to grow. That's my take on the loss. And as of right now, the path to Cage Wars welterweight gold goes right through you. You are the reigning defending king there in that division. That's right. Do we feel pressure with Randy Lamb having as much experience as he has in the fight IQ that he has? Is there any pressure on you for this fight? Or do you feel any pressure? Not any more than my last fight with El Saki and the one before that and the one before that. You know, El Saki is a high-level guy. He's on the up-and-coming, and the guy before that was a, a purple belt in jiu-jitsu with a good record. The guy before that is a professional boxer now. Randy has a very mature record, nine, nine wins, five losses. That's a lot of experience, and, you know, he's a little bit older, but with that comes that, eight, that maturation of your career. He's had a lot of fights, so uh, I expect him to be very comfortable, very savvy, you know, he's been around the block. He's not going to get uncomfortable in there. That's the only thing he brings to the table that might be a little different than my previous opponents. Now, you and Randy have been uh, lined to fight up once before at Cage Wars 35. So what happened with that fight? Yeah, we were. Uh, that was unfortunate. I woke up Friday morning of weigh-ins, and my manager called me, Tommy Marcelino. And he said, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm about to get into the hot tub and start losing these last few pounds. And he's like, don't do it. Fight's off. Randy was in the hospital last night. I made him send me a picture of Randy in the hospital, you know, just so everyone's clear what was happening. He had something going on. Shit happens, you know. I've had to pull out of a fight before because I rolled my fucking ankle wrestling with Matt Hamill. And I could barely walk. So what do you, you can't expect the guy to fight if he's seriously hurt or sick, you know, sometimes you got to just pull out of a fight. Shit happens. No, and you also wouldn't want to win that way. Also, you would want Randy at 100% too, correct? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I want to win truthfully, and I also don't want another guy to have to go through that. It's fucking hard enough when you're healthy, you know, if you're, if you're injured or sick, that's going to be a long night. Now, you're no stranger to the finish. In your four wins, you have two knockouts, and I want to say two submissions as well. Or no, uh, I believe that's right, yeah. Or your five yes. wins, excuse me. I yeah. your five wins, you have three submissions, two knockouts. And um, is there a particular area that you're going to try to favor in this fight for a finish? Um, not particularly. Um, you know, I listened to Randy's interview. You know, it might seem like... I'm not good in the third round, or I don't like pressure, but that's because I finished the first five guys so quickly. Most guys can't handle my pressure and my intensity early in the fight. So I'm expecting Randy can probably handle a little more pressure than some of these other guys. But I don't know exactly where this fight is going to go. I mean, we talk about our game plans. Who knows if we're even being honest? Randy says he wants to take me down. He probably does because that's what he does in every fight. But maybe, maybe he's got something else planned. I can finish a fight anywhere, and that's the that's the beauty of MMA. You never know what's going to happen, so you got to be prepared to finish the fight anywhere. And I will finish it anywhere. I prefer the ground game because I do like to fight safe. I like to protect my my body. That's the essence of fighting: to hit and not get hit, as Mayweather would say. So yeah, I like to I like to finish it as quickly as possible, because that is the safest way to fight.
Now, Jake, uh, how did you get your start in MMA? Um, well, I started wrestling at a real young age. My dad kind of funneled me into it. And uh, I actually didn't wrestle my junior or senior year in high school. My mother passed away, so I kind of went into a little bit of a depression, naturally. Sorry to hear that. Thank you. So I actually turned to jiu-jitsu a little bit. I just start, I was always watching UFC, but I did my first jiu-jitsu tournament when I was 15 to the gold medal. You know, I, I started doing a couple more tournaments, competing a little bit. And uh, I, grew up in a, I grew up in a trailer park, so it was kind of populated. I've been, I've been in a handful of street fights. You know, my first few fights were definitely on the street. I did a little backyard fighting, get a bunch of friends together bunch of school kids we did tons of fights like that and uh after high school i graduated high school i went straight to brazil for three months i was in the rotary exchange program i was living out there with a brazilian family and they sent their son to america to live out here i was out there training brazilian jiu-jitsu and muay thai and he came out here and he joined a wrestling team that was pretty funny so uh i did <laughs> Yeah, I came back from Brazil, and right away I wanted to fight, so I, I took three kickboxing fights pretty quickly, and this was with no coach, just training myself, so I had a, a few kickboxing fights, I wrestled a little bit in college, um, and then you know what, I decided I wasn't going to do MMA, I got a job, I was in college, and something just wasn't feeling right with my life, so I just decided I needed to fight, that was in 2016 i think yeah 2016 and i'm just running with it now i've always been in martial arts but 2016 is when i debuted as a mixed martial artist now you've been with cage wars since july of 2017 is it safe to say that that's your home for the foreseeable future yeah absolutely um it's definitely my home as an amateur because you know they work they're really they're really good with the fighters they give us dinner to give us hotel rooms. Most promotions do that, but the thing that sets Cage Wars apart is their production and the way they present the fighters. They don't spare any expense on photographers, videography. We have a pay-per-view. And it's that kind of exposure is what I like. I appreciate that. So, um, yeah, and you know what? It's right in my backyard. I live in Albany now. It's in Schenectady. It used to be, all right, we got to drive two, three hours to get to the show, and it was this big road trip. Now it's kind of uh, right at home, and that's really special. You get a lot more people coming to the fights and enjoying the show. That was another thing I wanted to know. With you being the hometown hero, if you will, in this case, do you feel that you were going to perform better being, uh, you know, having the home field advantage? Uh, this is actually the first time it's ever crossed my mind, but now that you mention it, yeah, that probably will help. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, damn. I'm glad yeah. I can add to the confidence. Now, speaking of confidence, <laughs> to say that your submission or that you are confident in your submission grappling with those three chokes to your credit would be an <clears throat> understatement. Uh, how yeah. do you feel that uh, your submission grappling holds with Randy Lambs? Not to be disrespectful, but, you know, I think I'm on a higher level of grappling. I know he's a wrestler. I'm a wrestler, too. I think I'm going to outperform him in all areas, including grappling. You know, you got to be confident. I roll with a lot of really high-level guys all the time, professionals, everybody. So I'm very confident on the ground. I've never been out grappled in the cage. 
I don't know. Maybe he hasn't either, but that's what makes this fight kind of exciting. We're both, uh, it's a good stylistic matchup. We're both really good grapplers. So we're going to see who can impose their will. Now, who are your most notable training partners and how are they helping you prepare for this fight? Uh, most notable is Roger Zapata. I've been with him for the past few years. Um, Tommy Marcelino, Christy Sinel, uh, Janelle Parkinson. Not everybody's on Team Henzo Gracie Latham. Janelle comes from a different team, but I've been sparring with him for a couple of years. He's a bigger pro at 205. The way they help me is just steel sharpen steel. You surround yourself with guys who have a lot of pro fights, who are really comfortable pushing the pace, and eventually that just rubs off on you. You become one of those guys. So when I decided to become a fighter, I, I knew who Roger Zapata was from The Ultimate Fighter. I knew who Andrew Cherico was from Cage Wars, Tommy Marcelino. I just looked him up and said, where are these guys training at? And I just went right to him. You know, that's why I'm that's why I'm five and one, because it's not really it's kind of scary showing up to a, a pro gym and just starting to spar and train. You got to throw yourself into the fire if you want to be that guy. And that's what I've been doing for the past two, two, three years. Now, one thing we like to get into with our guests is uh, getting to know them personally. So other than the, you know, the long walks <clears throat> in the rain and conversations with strangers, what sure, are some things sure. that you enjoy? All right, good question. Um, well, you know, fighting is really intense. So when I'm not training or fighting, I honestly, I like to chill out. I like to read. I do yoga. I stretch out. I cook at home. Most of my food gets cooked at home. I just like to chill and be mellow, kind of the opposite of fighting. You know, keep my blood pressure down type of thing. Just relax. That makes me happy. Let that animal out of the cage. Yeah, exactly. You gotta you gotta be calm when it's time to be calm, and then you can turn it up when it's time to turn up. It's kind of like high intensity intervals in your life. Now, Jake, you're five and one, as you said. You're already training with pros. Uh, is there an opportunity we're to see you turn pro? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was the game plan when I took my first amateur fight. I know a lot of guys say that and it doesn't work out. And uh, now is really when we find out. I'm facing my first case of adversity with my first loss. And this is my comeback fight. And you got to build up. Most of the most successful pros, they don't go undefeated as amateurs. They became so strong through experience. And part of experience is, you know, sometimes coming out with the short end of the stick. So taking a loss, it actually feels good for my future, if that makes sense. And, uh, yeah, you probably, you will see me as a pro. Definitely. Well, that's uh, the thing that we talked about after, uh, or earlier here in the show with the uh, whole Alex Hernandez fight this weekend is, yeah, these guys look great going in on their winning streaks, but after a loss, you see these guys come back and they get better. And that's why I'm really interested to see how this fight goes because it's really this rising star who's coming back. He's, you know, looking better than ever versus somebody who's been there, done that, and he's ready to get that gold. So this fight right. is really just, you know, it's the up-and-comer versus the veteran. And Yeah. Do you have a... Yeah, Randy's already, he's already been here five times, you know. He's already bounced back, and he gets stronger every time. So that's a good point. Now, do you have an official prediction for how this fight ends? Yeah, first-round knockout. Me. Knocking him out. Well, I hope so. 
<laughs> I hope you're nah. not predicting a first round knockout. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, Randy wants to go three rounds, but you look at my fight, my fight resume, I, per, I don't usually go three rounds. You never really know what's going to happen. With his, he says he's going to come at me, forward drive. That, that can make for a quick night. Uh, either way, you know, if two guys are going straight at each other, somebody's getting finished. He thinks it's going into the third round. I don't see it going past the second. I'll be looking How's to finish the coming. The weight cut's great. Um, fuck it, I'll just close whatever. I'm about 185 right now. I have a really easy weight. I have an easy time making weight. I'm coming down from about 200. But uh, it's really just managing what you eat. And if you just manage what you eat, it becomes really easy. You know, I said I cook a lot at home, and that's the best way to do it. When it's time for me to lose 10, 15 pounds of body fat, you know, I stop eating rice, I stop eating bread, I stop eating pasta, I eat more eggs, more fish, more spinach, more broccoli. It's not fun, but you can eat all day and still lose weight if you're eating the right stuff. It's that simple. And I use, I use caffeine and coffee to get me through workouts if I'm feeling a little drained. I'll even put a little sugar in my coffee so I can get a burst of energy and just burn it right up in a workout. So let me ask you this. The one thing I like to do is get the, you know, what's next, win, loss, or draw here. But the one thing I want to cover is what, what, are, you, what are you going to do next after a win? You have two options. If you win this fight, you can either stay there, hold the title, keep picking off challengers as they come, or yeah. you can make this professional debut. And Cage yeah. Wars has announced a Pro-Am card in September. Cage Wars 42. Do we have interest oh, in maybe making that professional debut there? Yeah, I actually didn't know that. Um, and you get to stay with Cage Wars, which is in your backyard. That would be fantastic. That would be real streamlined. A lot of people out here already know who I am, so I wouldn't have to. I wouldn't have to deal with driving out and being the visitor. I could stay the hometown guy. I would love to debut as a pro with Cage Wars, and uh, September is not a bad time. It's a great time. And now you've had so, fights at middleweight before. Are there plans to maybe return back to 185, or are we staying right here at 170? Um, you know what? I'm going to stay at 170. A lot of my teammates, my professional mentors, they weren't really sure how I would handle the weight cut. But me at 185, that's just me eating, eating too much ice cream and pasta. Once I stopped eating that garbage... I'm just a lot more athletic at 170, and I have a pretty easy time making the cut. So I really I really don't have any business at 185. The reason why I did it early is so I didn't have to worry about nutrition and cutting weight, and I wanted the challenge of some bigger, stronger guys. My last fight at 185, Josh Jones, he was like 6'4". He was a lot bigger than me, and I was like, oh, shit, these guys are starting to get a little big. And I just made the easy cut to 170, and I'm happy here. So, yeah, there's no reason for me to fight at 185. Now, I don't know how much the rankings really play into uh, or, you know, how, what your opinion on those are, but right now in the U.S. Uh, Northeast, out of 377 active amateur welterweights, you're sitting at 14. That's Tapology's number. Does that mm. give you more confidence going into this fight, or do you not really care about how they compile those rankings? I haven't looked at them in a while because... I just didn't want to be bothered by it. It definitely gives me confidence, you know, to hear almost 400 dudes. I'm number 14. That's really good to hear. It reminds you where you're at. But, you know, rank's not everything. 
but it does feel good. Now, I, one other thing, uh, you know, we're we're at this point in the interview where we like to give you the opportunity to give shout outs to you know your coaches or family members, friends, sponsors, or anybody that's helped you in this uh, MMA journey of yours. So, is there anybody that you'd like to give those shout outs to? Yeah, definitely. Um, all my friends and family. You know, I can get a little irritable getting close to a fight, so I want to thank everybody for putting up with that attitude adjustment. And my sponsors, Coba Skill Taekwondo and Marcelino's Pizza. Those are my two sponsors right now. I want to shout out everybody at Henzo Gracie Latham Academy. Those guys are great, great coaches, great teammates. And, yeah, those are my people right there. All right, man. Well, really... Oh, you know what? Oh. Let me shout out Shots Boxing, too. I've been training with I've been training with Kyle Provenzano and Andrew Schott over there, so i got to shout them out, too. All right. Well, hey, man, thank you so much for taking the time. I know it kind of took us a little bit to get this interview, you know, going and in place yeah. here. And I really appreciate you taking the time to take this, uh, you know, so close Absolutely. to the fight, man. Good luck out there. Really, man, I'm really looking forward to seeing this fight. All Ladies right, and lot, gentlemen, man. the reigning defending Cage Wars welterweight king, Jake Davis. <laughs> What's going on? This is Damon from Tell the Monster, and you're listening to Ben and Randall on MMA Wreckage Radio. I also want to let you know you can find all of our music streaming now on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else music lives. Be sure to like us on Facebook at Tell the Monster. You have been awoken. All right, guys, at this time, I have a very special guest with us. Uh, one guy I've been waiting to interview for a very long time. Uh, former UFC play-by-play analyst, former Bellator play-by-play analyst, uh, Jimmy Smith. How you doing today, Jimmy? Doing well, man. What's going on? Nothing much. Just uh, relaxing here. Thank you for taking the time out of your day. We truly appreciate that. No problem at all, man. Thanks for having me. One of the th- so uh, what's... One of the things Randall what? left out, and I just want to cover this real quick... And uh, it's kind of, it's on your resume as well, Jimmy. And it's one of my favorite things to do back in high school was to smoke weed and watch American Ninja Warrior. And you hosted that for a little while. And I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew that, not to embarrass you or anything, because that was such a badass part of your career was to watch you host that. But anyway, go ahead. Thanks, man. I appreciate that a lot, buddy. So what have you been up to lately, Jimmy? Uh, nothing much, man. Um, dealing with uh, uh, dealing with the holidays, man. A lot of changes coming up and all that stuff. So, yeah, man, it's it's, um, it, it, it's going to be an interesting year for sure. And then obviously the changes you're alluding to have done. The UFC lets you go a couple of just recently. Actually, it went officially into play what the first of the year. Yeah, yeah. What did that? What was that whole situation like? Did they let you know? Was there any kind of like you know, forewarning that this was going to happen, or it was kind of just a drop of the hat? December 10th is when I, when I found out. So not a lot of time between um, when I found out and when I found out, December 10th, and the end of the year. So the notice was about three weeks, three weeks at a time. Yeah, so uh, pretty quick, man, pretty quick. You, uh, you also didn't have a lot of time with your Bellator release, if I'm correct, right? No, I mean, that was... That was very, very different because um, that was the, the my contract was coming to an end, um, which I knew and they knew and everybody knew. Um, 
and uh, they wanted to renegotiate, but they didn't want to go into my option here. So there was, a, there was a lot more notice with that, and there was an actual negotiation, you know, with uh, Bellator because they wanted to keep me. So we were going back and forth, and the UFC came in and made an offer. So it was more like a free agency period, which was a lot longer with Bellator. Now, you were with the UFC for a little over a year, a little under a year, sorry. Tell me what that experience was like. It was great, man. I, I had uh, I had no problem at all, man. They were they were fantastic. Sports producers were great. Fighters were great. Fans were really accepting. Um, so yeah, man, it was it was a really great experience, you know. Um, but everybody was was I was worried about being welcomed and that you know that that wasn't an issue, man. Everybody was great. See, and that was one of the things I really enjoyed when you were calling fights. No matter where it was, whether it was UFC or Bellator, I always learned something when you called a fight. Because the way that you break it down, you get into the technical aspects of everything. And that is something that I really look for as a fan when I, you know, choose my favorite play-by-play analyst. And, you know, hats off to you for that. That's been uh, something I've been wanting to say for you, uh, to you for a while now. Thank you, man. Thank you. That's what I always try to do, you know, if I can entertain and educate and communicate enthusiasm, those are things I really try to do every time I do commentary. So it's important to me that, that fans know everything that's going on in there. I and mean, they, they learn something about what a fighter goes through because it's not an easy process, man. Oh. And do you have any idea what's on the horizon for you? Nope. Because I know that uh, <laughs> one FGD. I wish I had a more, I, I had a more uh, dramatic answer. But yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there, you know, my ears open. Things are, are, you know, uh, you know, are there a lot of possibilities out there? But yeah, I don't have anything definite at all. So yeah, I'm pretty much uh, up in the air at the moment. One thing Ben and I were talking about earlier that we think would be perfect for you is the fact that One FC is coming to TNT and they're going to need an American play-by-play guy with a great background like you. Yeah, we, you know, we'll see. Um, uh, I have no idea if, if, if that's a possibility, if that can happen, or what, you know what the situation is. But you know, we'll see, man. I'm open to just about anything. Have you thought Outside about of fighting promotions? That was one thing I always, I always wondered. You know, with the background that you have, you—I mean, you had uh, what was it, six fights as a professional mixed martial artist as well. And have you ever won. thought about coaching? Well, I used to coach, I used to own a gym uh, here in Southern California. The, the, the issue I had is, dude, coaching's a full-time job, man. It, it's 365, it's every day you're working with guys, you're either finding a fight, getting ready for fights, or you know, you're in classes. You can't really do that and do something else effectively. And so the, the issue I had over the years is I was always a competitor somewhere. And I was just on the road too much to, to really put my time and effort into the coaching because it's it, full-time gig, man. It's not, it's not part way. It's all the way. And I enjoyed it and it was a lot of fun. I met some great guys and coaching great fighters, but it, it's, it's a full-time job. And over the last couple of years with the schedule I've had, that hasn't been a possibility, but it's my fun. Something I might get back into, you never know. See, and one of the conversations I have that your name always comes up in is when we talk about mixed martial arts judging and refereeing, and, you know, we talk about we should have guys in there that have a lot of experience and know what's going on. Is that an idea that you've played with at all? Um, myself personally, to be a judge or a referee? Yes. Yes. Yeah, um, I, I, I have thought about it. Um, the thing is, is that what you guys have to understand is, looking in, 
December 10th, I found out I didn't have a job January 1st. Okay. So, so many of the things that are, are options in this business and in MMA are deciding which way you're going to go. Coaching and having a gym is a full-time job. You cannot do anything else if you're putting time into that. Refereeing, judging, those are part-time things. So yeah, that's not a career. Go with that. So, yeah, so it's, so it's, you know, that's the choices I'm facing right now. Is do I piecemeal things together where I'm, you know, I'm a judge here, a ref here, I do this on the side, I do that on the side, or something like a gym where it's full-time, that's all you're going to do. Um, so, yeah, can I judge, can I refere? Yeah, but that could be all I do. Because that just doesn't, you know, that just doesn't pay the bill, so you have to come up with something else. So it's that situation of I've always been, as a commentator, with Bellator, with UFC, with M1 before that, um, I was their guy, and that's what I did for a living. Everything else I did was added on to it. Um, I've never been in a situation where you have to kind of piecemeal things from a bunch of different places uh, to make a life and career. I haven't had to do that. So now I do so it's a matter of, of which parts make the most sense right now. And I haven't had a ton of time to figure that out. You know, this, this happened a month ago. So that's that's the deal. Yeah, all those options, yes, but they don't all stick together. You know, i got to figure out what pieces work. And See, I've always really admired that play-by-play work. So as much as I'd like to see you stay there, and we know that, you know, maybe returning into the cage isn't your option at this point either. I, I like that idea, but like you said, the... And what people don't realize about going into becoming a mixed martial arts referee and judge is that you have to first sign up for a class, and that's at least 100 to $150 for that class. That's two days out of your week, eight hours a day at least. There's a lot more that goes into it, including practical parts. And then there's submitting the license or your uh, applications to your state athletic commissions, which costs 100 for uh, the state of New York. It's like 100 for the ref and 150 for the judge. So that's more money. If you actually wanted to make a career out of that and try to make money off it, you would have to submit to just about every state and be willing to travel. And you know, guys like the UFC are only paying you for pay per view, maybe two grand, and that's with all your fight week incentive pay in there too. And exactly, I, mean, I know referees that have been doing it for years that have trouble making a living. It's just, and then you got to get the gig. You got to be the referee that they choose, which. Takes a while. If you got to get to know people and blah blah blah, it's not something you say, "Oh, I'm going to jump in and do this for a little Um Yeah, it takes a while to get going. I mean, even to to be moderately worth it, it takes a long time. Now, have you thought in, um, or has Fox offered you anything? Are they staying in the mixed martial arts game, or what's the deal with? Not Fox? that I'm aware of. No. Yeah, no, not that I'm aware of. No, they, they as far as I know, that. And they're not having any in the program that I know of. And if they do, they haven't contacted you about it. Well, I know you're in California, and ESPN, besides Bristol, their second biggest branch is in Los Angeles. I mean, ESPN, Jimmy Smith, it might be a good fit. I'm sure it would be, but, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I've heard a lot of these things of, of, you know, you should do it on ESPN, you should do this, you should do that. They know who I am and where I am. So, yeah, it would be nice, but I don't know what they're planning. I have no idea. I'm not involved in that process yet. So, sure, a lot of things would be nice, but I, you know, I don't know what's actually happening. And if they already have people to do that, what people have trouble understanding is UFC went to ESPN January 1st, 2019. Okay? No one starts January 1st, 2019 going, gee, who are we going to use on television? 
they already have an idea who they're going to use. I wasn't available until January 1st. So one of the problems with the timing, and then, you know, I'm going to really promise you when I talk about this, I got told December 10th. That is a really bad stretch of time to find a job in. Everybody in 2019, they already know who they're going to use. And so, you know, a lot of places that, that you know, my, my manager, I reached out to, said, hey, we love Jimmy, we think it's great. We already have somebody in that spot. So it's not just a matter of where I'm fit, what works. There has to be a spot available. And I got the notice pretty late. So that's it's not always easy to do, man. Yeah, so in order for us to see you doing play-by-play, it would have to be something like what happened with that M1 Global show, right? The last-minute call. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, there's an availability that people want to wear of, and blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, a lot of things have to work out, you know? Maybe even PFL. I know they're starting to get their second season together. I'd love to listen to you there because I, I love PFL's whole style, their tournament breakdown. What is your opinion on their, uh, their tournament style, by the way? I've always liked the tournament style. Um, it's always fun as a fan. It makes promoting really, really difficult. Um, from the Bellator days, you don't know who's going to win. So you don't know what matchup is coming up next. It can make getting ahead of that promotionally kind of difficult. Also, there's no matchmaking, but very little matchmaking. Let's put them in the tournament. And so it isn't always the most marketable tie or the, the, the people that you really want to see that ends up moving forward. So it can be difficult from a promotional standpoint to make that work. Now, something that a lot of people don't know is uh, you kind of got your start on TV on a Discovery Channel uh, show. It was actually one of my favorites called Fight Quest. Uh, fill the fans in on a little bit of what uh, what that show is about. <laughs> yeah, man, that was my introduction to television. Uh, it doesn't use it there. Basically, I went around the world and did different martial arts, and I trained in it for got five days, I think, if I remember correctly. And then I had to fight somebody who had been doing it for 20 years uh, in the same style. So it was a travel show, it was a martial arts show, it was kind of reality, it was very, very real. And uh, yeah, that's how I got my start, man. I did 13 episodes of that. And out of all the different styles that you were uh, shown during those. Uh... 13 episodes, which one was your favorite, if you could pick one? My favorite one to do, I think, was boxing in Mexico City. Um, I was with Nacho Berestein, who's a fantastic boxing coach. Um, Marquez Brothers, who was, was the dead coach. And um, a lot of the guys I, I was there with were from California, and the training was 100% legit. I literally lived with them in an apartment in Mexico City, got up and landed in the morning, and, and it was a lot of fun, and they were great guys, and, and everybody really enjoyed training, and I loved doing it. So, I think mean, that was my favorite episode of shooting man. Although, training in Mexico City is tough. Yeah, well, the elevation so, they talk about. Now, yeah, yeah. first thing uh, I want to comment on, my favorite episode was the Krav Maga one. Um, what was it like doing uh, Muay Thai in Bangkok, though? Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. I had a great time doing that, man. I had a great time, and, and you know, the gym was just full of killers. I love Bangkok as a city. Uh, that was really fantastic. And, you know, when, 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 when it's full of guys who really get since they're seven years old, they all want to be world champions. It's their dream. Um, it's just iron every single day. It is just, everybody, everybody's legit. It's not like a gym in the United States where, you know, some people want to toes and other people just trying to lose weight and work out. Everybody in the gym in Thailand is, is an absolute murderer. So it was fantastic training. I loved it. Now, you've been all over the world. 
you know, with all your multiple jobs. What is the best destination location that you've been to? Oh, yeah, that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. Um, I'll always have a, a, a spot in my heart for Amsterdam. That's a city. It's one of my favorite cities in Europe. I call them like there for M1. And it's just a great combination of stuff, man. I love history. I love museums. I love Muay Thai. I love kickboxing. Um, it had, it's just awesome. It's a great, great city, man. It's one of my favorites. Which is your least favorite spot? I like most of the places I've gone. I mean, um, what was... God, what was um, we've gone, not, not that they were bad, but places like we were in Sofia, Bulgaria, which is cool. I didn't have any problem with it, but it was like, Getting there took like two hours once you landed in the airport. I had to fly from Sofia to Varna. No, I fly from Varna. Getting there was a huge pain in the ass. It was really, really difficult. So I've been to some out of the way spots that were really, really tough. I mean, you know, you think it's, it's tough. Oh, you don't have Wi Fi in the hotel. Yeah, well, running water, hopefully it's there, stuff like that, you know. So I've been to some out of the way places that were tough. What about your least favorite spot here in the United States? Least favorite? Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm going to show most of the places, man. You know, when I when I've been out there for work and I I've been all over the country, it just every place is really different. You know, I'm not one of those people that you know. I was raised in Southern California, but I I, I, I I'm not. Kind of yeah, born and raised. Born and raised, man. So I I to me every place is just a little bit different. It has a little different flavor to it. It's not. A bad thing. The worst thing for us when you're out there working, you're having to call a fight is where you're staying isn't close to the venue and you're constantly taking like a two hour bus ride or, or car ride to get anywhere. That's always inconvenient and difficult. But in terms of what kind of place that is, eh, it's all good to me, man. I haven't had any fun. Well, like you alluded to, you were uh, born and raised in Cali. What was kind of your upbringing into Miss Martial Arts? I'm sorry, say that again. What was your upbringing coming into Miss Martial Arts? I was a wrestler in high school. And, um, so I was wrestling and then I went to UCLA. Um, and while I was there, uh, I was in the wrestling club because they don't have a team. And the jiu-jitsu coach saw us and said, hey, you look like a good wrestler. She comes to my jiu-jitsu class tonight. Now, I didn't know what he was talking about. I just ended up kind of showing up and um, did a bunch of grappling moves with guys. So, it, it, the transition from wrestling to jiu-jitsu was very, very easy for me. And then I got with some guys in LA that did a bunch of different martial arts stuff, and we kind of started this little fight club thing. And we would train together, and we'd show each other what we knew. And that was the start of it for me, man. Have you ever rolled with so Joe Rogan? I'm sorry? Have you ever rolled with Joe Rogan? Never. Never have. No, uh-uh. <laughs> Why is that? I've never been invited. Damn, Joe, we got to get that figured out. No, I get, no, 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 no. no. I, I want to make something very, very clear. I get this all the time. Why haven't you, you know, like, oh, we should go on Joe's show. It's Joe's show. He invites me. He, the times I've been on Joe's show, he called me and said, hey, Jimmy, you want to go on the show next Thursday? Sure, no problem. We're <laughs> actually, like, let's notice than that. Usually, like, can you come tonight? And I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem, whatever. What why do you have a phone though? Someone's going to invite me to grapple. It's not my show. It's his show. You know, I'm not going to go to his gym and challenge him. You know, it's, it's, 
I got to be invited. And so I haven't. So I haven't. You know, it's pretty simple. Actually, one of my favorite episodes of the Joe Rogan experience was the one that you were on right before you got signed to the UFC. I, one of my favorite episodes. You just thank you, man. I appreciate that. It's fun at the time. I like you know, I so and I get along, get along well. Always fun to be on on the show and all that stuff. But when people are, you know, when you're going on that, I'm like, how the fuck should I know? Is podcasting an interest of yours? I mean, I know there's absolutely no money in it, so I mean, it's not like a career choice. It's more of a hobby than anything, but is that something you've played around with? Yeah, it's something I've certainly considered. I mean, a lot of people have told me they would enjoy it. It's just, up until this point, I haven't had the time for it, and I've been attached to a particular promotion, which makes podcasting difficult. Um, this is the first time in my life where I could do something like that. So, yeah, all these things are, are you know, are, are things I have to now take a look at and pursue. And, and, yeah, I've never had the option before, you know? Well, I know that we would love to bring you on any time to break down a fight card, man. To get your breakdown on a fight card like that, or any fight card in general, is, would just be amazing to hear as a fan. I mean, I know I love Thank your work you, at the Fox desk and everything. And now, out of all the different, uh, you know, places that you've appeared on television, from uh, you know, commentating fights to the American Ninja Warrior and and uh, Fight Quest, which one was your favorite out of all those different spots? If you can pick one. <laughs> well, it's hard to pick one, man. It really is. Um, there's nothing to me like commentating something live. As much as I love, like, the Fox Dex was awesome. I love really working with Fox Dex. Fight Quest was great. Um, commentating a fight live is, is really a lot of fun. So, of all the roles I have done, and I've done a lot, I think actually sitting there commentating a fight that is live and having funny as part of that moment, that's a big deal, and that's my favorite thing to do. And you still train to this day, correct? Yeah, I'm training tonight. Yeah, I still do. Just jiu-jitsu these days. I haven't, haven't done any striking training in a long time. Pretty much just jiu-jitsu. How long have you been a black belt now? I've been a black belt for, geez, I don't remember, three or four years, I guess? No? Yeah. So who gave you your belt? Hey, Diogo. I'm with uh, Carlson Gracie, man, here in, here in uh, Los Angeles, California. And talk to us what it's yeah. like to, uh, or about what it's like to train in that facility. I'm sorry, say it again? Tell us a little bit uh, about what it's like to train in his facility. Oh, it's fucking old school, man. It's old school. People have this idea that I, I, I don't know, that I train in some, like, big and amazing or something like that. No, it's, it's, it's a little red building, and it's got a mat in it, and that is about it. And we just go in there and we train. And I've been there 12 years or something like that, and... and Everybody knows me. I know everybody. I go in there and, and I train. And, and that's been my schedule for as long as I can remember. I always try and put in my jiu-jitsu time. Now, Jimmy, uh, one thing that we like to ask a lot of our guests uh, is if there's any fighters out there that maybe a lot of us haven't seen yet, maybe that you've seen on the lower circuits, maybe who some of those fighters are. Oh, wow. You know what's funny? And this is a good opportunity to see this. Um, the, the, one of the things about coming up to what I have in MMA and the local scene, going out and seeing fighters coming up and seeing live fights has been so long for me because 
you know, I was all over the UFC. I'm, I'm studying basically the fight that's in front of me. And one thing you don't get a chance to do that often is on a fight night or a fight week, going out and checking out smaller local fights. I've spent so long since I've had the opportunity to do that. I've been in, you know, been in MMA as a commentator so long where I've had to focus on the fight in front of me on television that I haven't been able to, like, get away from it and, and go to some local fights and go to some local jiu-jitsu tournaments. I haven't gone to them forever to look at the up-and-coming guys, man. That's something i got to get back into because I haven't had time in 10 years. To go check out the local scene in California? Oh, man, I've been checking out the local scene here in New York more and more, and it's just, holy shit. It's, you know, getting into the local scene where, like, I was when I first started getting into mixed martial arts about 10 years ago or so, and now it's a whole different ball game, man, a whole different list of killers. It's insane, man. So oh, what, yeah, I mean, there are amateurs out there right now that were better than pros 10 years ago, man, way better. Oh, yeah. Can you just tell the evolution of mixed martial arts, being a one-dimensional fighter back in the day, to where fighters are growing up as mixed martial artists? Oh, crazy, man. They're, they're so capable now. They have such great teams. They have such great support and training. It's, it's really nuts, man. It really is. One of the uh, fan questions we got here kind of pertains back to um, some one of the things we asked John Anik a few weeks ago, and it was, out of all of the uh, different fights that you've uh, called before in your career, which one was your favorite, if you can pick one of those? Or at least most memorable. Yeah, well, one that's going to live for a long time, in my mind, is um, the first camera. I was fight. I said that again. That first fight was amazing. Not just how good the fight was, because, you know, obviously it was incredible, but the fact that nobody really thought Chandler was going to be that good. I mean, most people thought, ah, Eddie's really experienced, he's fantastic, you know, he's pretty much a wrestler, I didn't get it handled. Dude, you know, Chandler Town blasted right in the mouth, you know, just a, a different fight than everyone expected. No one expected that kind of fight. So, it wasn't even just the back and forth on maybe fight and the grit and technique, it was the fact that we didn't expect that. It kind of came out of nowhere, and then all of a sudden he had this new star in MMA, Michael Chandler, and to see him develop in that fight was, was really incredible. Oh, I know. It was wasn't that one of the fight of the year contenders for that year, I believe. Yeah, and, it was. That, oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, it won a couple of awards that year. Yeah, and at that point in uh, Eddie Alvarez's career, he was looking pretty untouchable. I want to say he'd only had one or two losses before that. Yeah, there was two uh, two losses before that, and he was just rolling through people in Bellator, going crazy. And Michael Chandler showed that uh, the little bit of weakness he had. I couldn't believe it. It was. And they went back, and I think it was a split decision that Alvarez won the second time, right? Correct me if yeah, I'm wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which was another good fight. Oh, yeah. That was a good fight. Yeah. I, I think Alvarez is just one of those guys, though, that goes in there and he puts on a show no matter what. I was never going to watch fight. Can't do it. He's awesome. That's what I mean. And I think he's one. What's that? Uh, I think he'll do well. You know, I just don't see many fighters his size. Uh, at his level, it's a matter of how many wards he has in him, because he's already been through so many, so you just never know when that kind of, the, the style that he has makes it spontaneous, kind of go for broke, you know, throw every, every weapon you have at the other guy, that's his style, so it's a matter of when that style, style kind of checks up, you never know what else Now, as a fan of the sport, is there a fighter that uh, you favor watching? You know, 
funny. I, I really like watching uh, Eddie Alvarez. He, he's one of my, my favorites as a commentator and as a fan. Israel out of Sanya. I love oh, Hungry Ben Price. Oh, my monster. Still using kind of cool things out of nowhere. He's so fun to watch. Justin uh, Diamond, Sheriff Box, Outstanding. Um, those are some of my favorites, for sure. Yeah, that beats me bar. The one that one that oh, uh, got in commission of the year was amazing. I've never seen anyone try to attempt it like that in an MMA fight. It was insane. There was two knee yeah, bars that was, night too. Yeah. Uh, uh, Alderman Sterling. Alderman Sterling. Yeah. Yeah, that was an amazing night of fights. Yeah, it really was. Really was fantastic, man. And uh, another fan question we had here for you is: Out of all the people that you've had to uh, the privilege to share the broadcast booth with, uh, who was your favorite, or who was the easiest to work with? Wow. Uh, um, you know what's funny? I, I work with some really generous broadcasters. I've been very, very lucky. Um, the one I had the most time with that that, that kind of formed the biggest rapport with, um, I would say. Uh, Sean Grandy was absolutely fantastic. Really, really professional. Really, really learned a lot about the sport. Uh, honestly, been all over the world with Sean. We all absolutely had a long time together, man. But everybody you've seen was really welcoming, too. I mean, and it's a very generous guy. So it's Gerald. So it, it, it's been great, man. And I, I got a short run with Marlon and Goldie, but they were both great. There's no real... It, it, it's easy to point out it's hard to plan something that, that wasn't good. I mean, I thought everybody I worked with is, is not only been a good broadcaster, but the, the key in, a, in being a broadcast partner is generosity, is knowing when to let your partner in, knowing when to let them talk, knowing when to kind of take your hands off the wheel and let them drive for a second. And everybody I've worked with has been great with that. Now, as a fan, here's another fan question for you. Um, as a fan of the sport, what was uh, your favorite fight? My favorite fight as a fan? Yes. Yes. Uh, in MMA. Well, yeah, and then we'll go into kickboxing. Uh, well, <laughs> trust me, I, 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 I've called them all, and I've watched them all. Um, i got to say, old school, one of my favorites is, um, I love uh, Shogun Hula versus Little Knock and Pride. That was a fantastic fight. I love um, Kyoto Sakurai versus Jim Polar. Um, that was a great fight. Um, yeah, uh, look, everything's talking about Gomi ever did, especially this fight with uh, Nick Diaz. That was fantastic. Love that fight. So yeah, I'm an old school prize fan, man. I, I, I love, I love those old fights, especially in, in Japan, dude. In Shuto, those were some of my favorite oh, man back in the day. I with could, a, a young Shaolin. I thought he was great. Yeah. I could talk to you for hours about fucking old school pride, man. Oh my god, one of my favorite <laughs> things ever is old school pride. In fact, that's one of the things that I've bitched about that they need to bring back into the video game. They kind of hinted about, and then THQ sued EA Sports over it, was the use of that whole Pride ring. And I really hope they bring that back, because as a fan, I fucking love Pride. We need to do something, bring Pride that back. Great, Pride was great, but it was also hit or miss, man. They loved some freak show fights. They loved the win classes that made no sense. They didn't do a lot of title fights. But they wanted to see these great matches. And... Further up on the car, a match, you were like, what the hell is going on here? You know, as you're about to do, you getting beaten up by somebody crazy fight. So it was oh, a yeah, story. Yeah, on that show, you're like, what the hell is going on here? Where you have these kind of legit fights that were, like, amazing, and then they have these, like, 
windshield fight that really appealed to the Japanese audience but made no sense at all. So you kind of had to sit through those two. Oh, yeah, every card was, just about every card, no matter what, was always entertaining. That was the best part about every yeah, Pride event. that was their thing. That and um, just the whole feel of the arena. I mean, there's a different feel when you're in Japan or, you know, as a, even watching the fights, you can tell. The, the Japanese fans look at it as an art form. It's not, you know, just two guys in there beating each other up. This is an art form to them. This is the, these guys and are And the number very calm and quiet. Yes, Exactly. You, you won't hear them screaming yeah, and cheering the whole time. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a, a vibe that is so different than American MMA. I think the people that really long for that, it, it, they love them just the conflict. It's American MMA. It's probably way different. It was four different audience, you know? Now, out of the 11 or 12 uh, pride fights that Mark Kerr had, didn't he complain in, like, 10 of them? Just an old pride question. <laughs> yeah, he certainly did. He always had something to say, man, but... Uh, I remember, you know, when he was the smashing machine and really doing his thing, he was incredible. You know, oh, I know. One of things where I think the sport kind of moved back, you know. Well, back in the original UFC days, back in like the uh, late 90s when he was just ruining people uh, in the UFC, and then he jumped into Pride and went and did the same oh, damn thing. Oh, you know, he put his knee through Rangers Scott? Yeah, I mean, come on. He, he was just he was killing guys, you know, and then maybe he was the Pride. But, you know, people caught up, man. He caught up to his game. One of the questions I always like to ask when I talk MMA with guys that have a lot of knowledge like you do is, do you think a lot of these guys, though, from back then would survive in this uh, new USADA era? No. No. <laughs> Not at all. No. <laughs> That's no, usually I what I get. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, no, I mean, Pride didn't test. They didn't test anyway. So, you know, you could be a pharmacy and go in there and fight. And, and that's something you just have to accept also with, with pride, a lot of people are like, yeah, you know, I want to be in Florida. I want pride. And you're like, well, you can't, you know, well, you know they weren't, right? You know, you can't, you know, but, but it wasn't against the rules. So they technically weren't cheating. So it, it's an interesting kind of conundrum, man. Yeah, look at guys like Alistair Overeem and Detour, they're not Detour, but um, oh, Randerlay. Those guys were juicy. Yeah, of <laughs> Vitor was fucking radioactive for half of his career. What the hell are you talking about? You could have powered your house off of that motherfucker's piss. Come on now. Oh, Vanderlei, Vanderlei in his prime over five. Oh, Vanderlei was a killer, man. Yeah, Vanderlei. Vanderlei is the one who ran from his daughter when he was supposed to fight Chael. Yeah, I literally ran away. Yeah, it's crazy, man. We got any stories like that. Have you heard any stories like that before? Crazy oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yes. I mean, who can share with us? No, I cannot. <laughs> but yes, I have. I've heard of a lot of them. I will not share them, but I'm aware of them. Yeah, I've heard of all of them. So, you tweeted on the 14th that you were working on a... Or you had questions about a potential animation project you were working yeah. on. Can you share any details with that? Because when I saw that tweet, I was really interested in it. Yeah, well, you know, it's just... Okay. It's just a little little video animation project I'm working on because I have a lot of interest outside in the main. So uh, one of them is history, and I started basically a history and animation project, and I need some questions answered by somebody who has a good uh, animation background, and I did, and so we're in touch, and we're working on it, and we'll, we'll see what comes up. But as soon as it does, I'll let you guys know. All right, man. I'm what really part of history is your favorite? Uh, he he wanted to know which, uh, what part of history is your favorite. Uh, I started mostly 20th century Cold War history. 
um, Russia and the United States, and blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of Russian history, a lot of World War II history, a lot of post-World War II history, mostly 20th century Cold War is what I study, but I studied everything. It's really like I would take anything I found interesting. Once I got my, you know, the credits I needed out of the way, man, I just studied whatever I thought was fun. So there aren't a lot of subjects that I didn't have to dip my toes into at some point. You know, a lot of people don't know that's what my degree is actually in uh, from UCLA with history. So I just study a lot of it, man, a lot. I've read a ton of books. I'm always reading. It's just part of what I do, man. See, I love so Civil I War. My stepmom has a history degree from there. I'm sorry? My stepmom has a history degree from UCLA. There you go, man. Yeah, I was born and raised in California myself. I'm out in Vegas right now. But, yeah. Just enjoying life. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm originally from Long Beach, man. This is my whole thing. And I got yeah, one I more. Yeah, I everywhere. One more family. I've lived everywhere from like Ventura all the way to Oceanside. And everywhere yeah. in between. That's a long <laughs> stretch, man. That's yeah. a long stretch, buddy. You know, I covered a lot of field. So, one more fan it. question here off the line was out of all the uh, different mixed martial arts forms that there are, which one do you like the best? Mixed martial arts, what? I'm sorry? Disciplines. Is oh, man. Well, I'm always going to love jujitsu. That's my primary kind of love. Um, I'm always going to have a soft spot in my heart for jujitsu. I always will. I still do it. I do it as often as I possibly can. I'll do it for the rest of my life. So, I'm biased, but I, I love jujitsu, man. I do. And then this one is from a young fighter. He was wondering, uh, out of all the different things you've observed from different fighters in your career thus far, what is the biggest mistake you see guys make? Oh, that's, that's, that's very, very interesting. Um, young fighters come up? Yes, this is an amateur fighter. Oh, young fighters. Yeah, this is an amateur fighter out of the state of New York was wondering what's the biggest mistake you see these guys make. They run from the, they run from the, the, the how can I put it? They kind of stay in their comfort zone a little too much. The, the one um, mistake I've seen fighters make that has really held them back is, well, you know, my coach, um, he's, he's my buddy, and, you know, hey, dude, are you getting the training you need? Well, no, well, then... You're wasting your time. You know, oh, I'm the best guy at my gym. I'm knocking everybody out. Well, then you're at the wrong gym. You know what I mean? Too many guys kind of become kind of a local hero or they become, you know, the warrior for this particular promotion and then they get complacent. And dude, this sport's too hard for that. It's too hard for you to sit there and be like the king of South New Jersey or wherever you live. And they get comfortable there in some little tiny gym and some little tiny promotion, and, and they're afraid to step out and, and throw hands with big boys in order to get ready. And that to me kills a lot of fights. Where I get a lot of people, oh, I want to, I want to, you know, be the new guy. Where are you training? Such and such place out in Podunk, nowhere. Can you go somewhere else? Well, no, but I'm comfortable here, and you're not gonna make it. I'm not saying you're getting bad training there. I'm saying if you're a you have to be ready to see where you are with great fighters. If you're not willing to be where great fighters are, you're going to have trouble. So I would say it's complacency, you know, a, a difficulty getting out of your comfort zone. You need to do that, for sure. Well, yeah, there's a reason why you have teams like ATP who have just produced champion after champion after champion. Uh, iron sharpens iron. Exactly. And it's not even just staying out there with that team. I mean, you know, AKA might not have the right kind of, um, atmosphere for you. And that's you might not have a recommendation for you, but you need to get out there and see where you are. 
You need yeah. to spend time with one of those teams and see where you are in the game and not stay in whatever whatever niche you're you're in right now. If you want to be the best, you got to train with the best. That's it. Yeah, you know, we just talked to Joe Janetti and he takes half of his time uh up in Boston and the other half of his time he's at AKA. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta be with the bad boys wherever that might be, whatever team works for you, but you gotta get with a team that, that has guys that can push you. Yeah. You get some places. TJ Dillashaw is a prime example of exactly what you're talking about, and a lot of people give him shit over that whole Team Alpha Male thing, but he moved on, and look what he's done. Look where he is now. I mean, you know, this is interviews being recorded before his fight with Henry Cejudo, and it's going to be released after, but, you know, look at where he's at in his career. I, You know, would he have gone this far? Would he have, you know, done what he's done? Had he stayed with Team Alpha Male? Who knows? But look what he's done out with the change. Yeah, well, you got to do what's best for you as a fighter because it's on you. You only have a certain number of years to make it in the sport. And, you know, you're not getting any younger. So whatever steps you feel you have to make as a, as a professional, you make them. And there's four of them in the team sport. Okay, well, they're not paying the bills, so what are you going to do? You know, yeah. you got to look after your own career, you know? And then just kind of a weird one I got here just now was if you had to build the ultimate fighter with two disciplines, you can only pick two to build the ultimate fighter, which two would you choose and why? That's very, very interesting. Um, in terms of the practicality, you got to go with wrestling because yeah. that's just the versatility of the game. will take a fight wherever you want to. And then I would put in that kind of... I would build an intro out of time. He can yeah. stop the shake down well enough to get it done, and his striking is phenomenal. So... That combination of, yeah, trouble taking the guy down and holding him down, and then his, his virtual kickboxing, those are two things, two things I would use. I would build that guy. You know, like, I was watching John Jones fight a couple weeks ago, and I was watching him strike, and it really, like, grew my appreciation for Israel Adesanya and what he created so creative with his striking. Now, John Jones is on another level with his striking, but Israel Adesanya is on a completely different level than that. Oh, dude, when I saw him take on Tavares, and he, I remember he threw a head kick. And Javaris, you know, like barely ducked under, like grazed the top of his head. Adesanya stops, brushes the top of his head, and then hits it. I'm like, okay, this dude's on another. He was playing with him. It was unbelievable. Not only is it, you know, is it, is it tactically amazing, it's also incredible to watch. It's incredibly entertaining. And fans gravitate to it. You're always going to get pushed by the promotion, so it's a great, it's a great style to have. Now, how do you feel you about know, the... Adesanya Anderson Silva fight. A lot of people have described it as basically prime Silva fighting current day Silva. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's exactly how I see it. I really do. And um, so it's, it's, you know, um, it's. I don't think he goes well for Silva. I, I really do. I think he's facing a younger, stronger version of himself. Um, Adesanya is a little bigger. I mean, there aren't many advantages Silva has at this point. He's pretty now. He's tricky enough that he still might get something, he might make it interesting, he might, hey, who knows, maybe he lands that big stop, but the odds are stacked against him. I agree. I think he's taking on a younger, hungrier, stronger version of himself. And the thing about them both is that they, they if you, they don't have an opening, they're going to create it. They're always moving, and if, like I said, they'll create that opening if they can't find it. Look at what Anderson Silva did against Vitor Belfort. Look at what Adesanya just did against uh, Derek Brunson, I believe was his last fight. And these guys are just... Yeah, I'm hoping Anderson Silva will come back and we'll see a really good fight, and maybe we'll see that old Anderson Silva that 
we saw destroy a bunch of guys in middleweight. But who knows? Now, can you make a prediction for that fight? Do you have a pick? My pick would be Israel. I mean, that dude looks next level amazing. He's younger. He's stronger. There's no reason why he's in it. Now, obviously, in the May, anything can happen. But if you kind of check off all the categories, it's hard to find a category um, at this point in his career that Anderson Silva is his veteran. It's just, you know, he's, he's, in his prime, yeah, I, I would go with it. But he's not in his prime. You know, no, that would be my next question. So, yes. Yeah, so pretty much, you know, if, you're if he wins this fight, say Robert Whitaker wins his fight, is that matchup something that you think they would make in the future? Sure. I mean, the New Zealand versus Australia thing, they can play off that too. Oh, yeah, I think that's a huge fight in Australia. Um, the only difficulty, and I don't know if it's a difficulty or whatever you want to call it, if you look at the top five at 185, it's all murderers, man. Yeah. It's all murderers. You got Jacare, you got Weidman, you got Romero, you got there's, there's the top. It's, it's a lot thing. The top oh, talent. I mean, you got Paulo, Paulo Costa. Costa. Yeah, I, that's a fight I want to see. Dude, Costa out of It's a lot, Cam. So, will he get it? Maybe. Will he get it right after Anderson Silva? Probably not. And you've got to take on one of those top five guys, in my opinion, to get that. I like to see him versus Weidman. I really feel like Weidman or Yoel would touch and take down defense. Yoel, for sure. Weidman, too, but Yoel takedowns on the Yoel's a beast. What the, he can do it from across the octagon now. Yeah, I mean, just so some of the things that he's already done in the Oxygen are amazing. That Tim Kennedy fight was phenomenal. I mean, you love a beast. And for his age, imagine if he would have gotten in MMA sooner. Oh, we'd be talking about uh, it's all great. It all turned great, yeah. Well, that always brings up the question. It's like, had, had we been drug-testing fighters this whole time, would it have taken guys like Michael Bisping 10 years to realize a UFC title dream? Would it, you know, would we have seen yeah. Romero hold UFC gold before? Yeah, I mean, you never know. I mean, it's, it's the sport's always evolving, it's always changing and developing. And, and you can ask, oh, how would someone still do in a modern fight? Well, shit, man, you don't get that. You don't get that opportunity. You, you, you have your prime, what you have your prime, do what you can with it, and that's about it. I love this Sugar Ray Robinson versus Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, but you know, the world didn't work out that way. So. Anderson Silva actually spoke in an interview recently and said he was in favor of letting guys use TRT to a certain extent as long as it was monitored. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think as long as everybody has to abide by the same rules, fine. You know, it's not a matter of fair playing ground. Yeah. Fair play involved, sure. But, you know, it's got to be a level playing field. That's what everybody's afraid of is... You don't want it where certain guys still can have an advantage. Another guy aren't allowed to have that advantage. Okay, if, it's, if there's some kind of regulation and it's, it, you know, a, a level playing field, I'm much more for it. See, he was saying for older guys like him that it would be better for them to have it and make it easier for training. Do you see that as maybe a cry for help almost? It's like, a, all right, I'm starting to get too old for this shit. Yeah, I do. And it's, it, it, you know, I was having an interesting conversation with somebody in the UFC about, it was um, DJ Penn versus Yayo Rodriguez, right? And there was a criticism at the time, like, dude, you want to DJ against a murderer like Yayo Rodriguez? Is that really fair? And the response was, if we give him someone he can beat, he's going to keep going. 
if we give him against somebody who's asking to appeal it, and he takes a beating, he might not, you know, he might realize that the sports move pass. If you need PRT, maybe your body's telling you it's over, that you shouldn't be doing this anymore, and you should listen. You know what I mean? If you, if you allow fighters to do that, then it's, oh, I can go for a few more years, and a few more beatings, and it's like, your body's telling you something. If it needs that, maybe it's time to hang them up. Yeah, that's and why they gave... young killers coming in the game, too, like, like, Alex Hernandez, some of these young guys are just crazy. And they want that name on their resume, man. Yes. Like, well, yep, Alex Hernandez is getting a cowboy uh, this Saturday, but that's going to be a tremendous fight, too. Great fight. Great fight. You know, he's got to be one of my top up-and-comers, man, for sure. Well, I mean, there's definitely a lot of guys in this UFC, a roster of 600-plus, and, you know, a lot of the people haven't even heard some of the names yet that are in there. And that's why I always encourage people to watch the, the Fight Pass prelims and things like that. Now, with the Fight Pass deal extending, do you uh, see yourself potentially finding a home on one of those Fight Pass networks? I know we kind of got into this earlier, but that was another fan question I just got here. I have no idea. Well, Jimmy, man, I really want to appreciate, or I want to tell you that we appreciate you taking the time to do this today. I know you said you're training later, you got a bunch of things going on, and we've uh, blown through our half-hour time limit by about 20 minutes here. So, man, thank you for staying late with us. We really appreciate the time. If there's any shout-outs you want to give, now would be a great time. Hey, I just want to say the fans have been fantastic. I appreciate the, all the, 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 the well wishes and continuing uh, to do that. Yeah, there was a lot of exciting fans when we told them about this interview, so you're definitely missed in the MMA community, and we want you back very soon. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, Smith, thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, Jimmy Smith. And as we come to a close of our 11th episode, I want to stop and take a second, because I know we haven't really talked about it, but Bellator 214 is this Saturday. It's going to be taking place at the Forum in Los Angeles. There's um, three really good fights that I'm looking forward to. Aaron Pico, who is a phenomenal talent, is going to be taking on Henry Corrales. And then Jake Hager, um, some of you guys might know him from his WWE days as Jack Swagger. But he is going to be making his MMA debut against J.W. Kaiser. And then for the main event, it is the finals for Bellator's Heavyweight Grand Prix, and that is for the Bellator Heavyweight Championship. That is going to be the last emperor, Fedor Emelianenko versus Ryan Bador. And uh, if you really think about this main event, and you really think about Fedor and his uh, nickname, the last emperor, he really is the last emperor of that old generation, of the pride generation. He's the last guy standing really in any of these young guys' way at this point. Um, this will be probably one of his last opportunities for a title like this. And to, I mean, but it's definitely going to be a great fight. I, I would love to see Fedor come out on top of this one, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I think the wrestling of Ryan Bader is going to be way too much for him. And I feel like you're going to see Bellator's first simultaneous double champion. But uh, Ben, I know you're looking forward to those couple of fights. What are your opinions on them? Well, 
I mean, I, I really want to start with this main event, but we're going to take it back two fights, and we're going to start with their featured heavyweight fight of the evening, Jack Hager taking on J.W. Kaiser. And this is where it gets interesting for me, as a not just a fan, but as a person. As you guys know, I'm kind of a douche. Um, and I'll be the first to admit kind of. You kind of, as a, you know, kind of like that big pinch of salt, you know. All right. Part of me wants to see Jack or Jake, excuse me, go in there and get smeared, just because of the whole WWF, WWE, whatever fucking background. But the other part of me, the fan of the sport, the one that looks forward to sitting down and recording every couple of days, and the one that enjoys watching the fights, looks at the fact that he's a Division One All-American, and he looks at the fact that. You know, you go back and you look at everything he did in college and his in his high school wrestling, and and it's just it's kind of amazing to look at the things that he's done. I you know he started wrestling at the age of five, you know, and fucking just continued to go on a tear. And I think he was yeah, ranked at number five beat. in 1999 at all the 215 pound wrestlers in the world. He won that fucking division. In states, and then continued to go on, runner up the next year, uh, and then you get into the. He joined the junior national USA wrestling team, and from there he just went on that once again a tear. I think he went ten and th- uh, ten and or no, he recorded. Shit, I can't remember what the numbers are. I had him in front of me earlier. I was doing my prep for this, but long story short, he was very impressive, and I think he has a real chance to go in here and become one of the bigger stars. You look at what somebody who, once again, here's my douchebag coming out, Brock Lesnar, who I fucking hate. Um, but you see the success that he had with that fucking yeah, but the collegiate wrestling. I feel like comparing him to Lesnar is oh, a little a bit of a reach. Yeah, it is. It's definitely. Um, if you're going to stay within the aspect of professional wrestlers, uh, we spoke about this earlier, I think Bobby Lashley, Turning into an MMA career would be more of a uh, closer resemblance. He's definitely not CM Punk, and that's what I feel like everyone is kind of labeling him as, and they're not even thinking about his wrestling credentials. Well, that's what I mean. And that's I why I think everyone's overlooking him. That's why I try to keep that in mind. You know what I mean? You can scroll through this guy's bio and read countless shit from his res- professional wrestling. Oh, he, he pulled a, a briefcase from some ladder and put it up, whatever. You know, I don't care. What I'm really interested in is seeing this, uh, you know, the guy that ended up in 2006, he set a record for the most pins in a season for an All-American. Uh, that's the guy that well, I'm I, interested to see go in there. Well, I've thought about this before, and, um, like, one of those guys would have straight out of college because there's some actually very good collegiate wrestlers in the WWE not a lot of people think about it. Like Kurt Angle is an Olympic gold medalist. Oh yeah. In freestyle wrestling. Um, imagine if he would have never went the WWE route. Well, it if takes, he would have went to the UFC route instead. Bring up it brings up the question is like what if MMA was started how WWE started, you know, back in the day and it just got big? What if it was something yeah, like well, that? Or, what if this started in the sixties instead of the nineties where it started the popularity, you know, started. You've got guys off. like um, like Dolph Ziggler is the all time winningest uh, wrestler at Kent State. I mean, you've got some very good wrestlers. Well, not for nothing. Look where wrestling. the fucking money is. You know what I mean? Like, 
You yeah. want to put at but least... they're constantly on the road. Well, yeah, you at 300 days away from your family a year, I believe, is actually what the contract calls up. for. You know... That per diem adds up. Well, that's right, but you got to think. It's like, what's the chances of you making that type of money that these people make in professional wrestling versus in a cage actually getting beat the fuck up? You know, I understand, right. like, when you get hurt in professional wrestling, that means somebody fucked up their job. All right, like... You know, do you want to yeah, trust somebody to do their job and know you're not going to get hurt or go in there and guarantee you're going to get fucking hurt? And for him to step oh, over and make sure. this crossover and, and some of the things he said in the interviews, like if I go in there and get knocked out, what does that say about my wrestling career? Well, he's also he's he's also said that he's had this itch for a while. That this isn't something well, the CM that he's Punk thing kind of made him put that on the back burner and he openly said that before. He's not going to be a CM Punk and that's his biggest fear is being that CM Punk. But, I don't think he. I think he's already far surpassed what CM. Well, Punk just the credentials. Yeah, CM Punk did a little bit of fucking, uh, a little bit of jujitsu here and there, and uh, some kickboxing. I think it was, and thought he could. He's fuck got like shit one stripe stay. on his white belt, and all of a sudden he's in the UFC. Oh, I know. I my niece, who's taking three karate classes, can could probably beat him in the cage, but. You know, so basically, I, if we're gonna, well, make, I don't think so because probably he'll just keep her away because she's short. He's a grown uh, man. But, you know what I mean? It's a good try. Dude, now let me tell you a story. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now. This kid, she may be short. She, Like I said, I mentioned it earlier in the show. She's 11 years old. And, uh, or maybe I mentioned that in the pre-recorded episode or ones that are going in next week. But I mentioned her before on the show, and she's a little badass at 11 years old. Like, she, you know, had this little boy that had been teasing her or whatever, and when he tripped her in the lunchroom, she grabbed him by the shirt and fucking threw him over the table. So, I mean... She already has better better fucking grappling than CM Punk does. The fact that she could grab somebody and throw them, like, you know what I mean? Kid four grades above her, and she's just tossing them around on the fucking table like that. So I'm confident that she could beat CM Punk. But before we're pitting 11-year-old girls against fucking professional wrestling MMA crossover failouts. Back to Bellator 214. I've got... So who do you got? Fatal Jake, or Ryan Invader? Well, let's cover the finish the fight we're on we'll move on to that in a second i've got jake winning this fight by a decision can you make your prediction yeah i feel like jk is going to do enough to win a decision i feel like aaron pico is going to run through henry corrales second round finish i feel like he will i see i feel like aaron pico is going to go into this fight and he's going to be a little bit more Patient because he understands it's a little bit more of a step up in competition. I feel like he's already so patient, though. Exactly, but I feel like we're going to see more of a feeling out process in the first round, and he's going to go in there, and it's going to be that second round. He's going to call a shot, and he's going to take it. You know, this kid, I'm confident, is the next Max Holloway. Who do you have winning the Bellator heavyweight title and the heavyweight Grand Prix simultaneously? Well, when you look at the way the the past has kind of gone in for both of these fighters, I mean, Ryan Vader leaves the UFC on a two-fight win streak and just goes and runs through every four fucking opponents he's had here in Bellator. His first fight coming over, winning the title, defending it, getting a heavyweight debut, and he looks phenomenal at heavyweight. I want to say Ryan Vader has competed at middleweight before, is that correct? Or am I wrong? I'm thinking of somebody else. Um, no, I think he's always been a light. Okay, yeah, I'm thinking of somebody else then. My bad, guys. Call me out on Twitter. I gave you my shit earlier. But I think Ryan Bader really has the best chance of winning this. 
Um, just because, you know, he not only is he the younger fighter, but just how much he's grown in, in his four fights since leaving the UFC has amazed me. He looks so much better at heavyweight now that he's not cutting as much weight. And it's the classic, I call it the Daniel Cormier syndrome. You go up a weight class and you look fucking amazing. So I'd like to see That's him. That's a fight I would definitely love to see. Oh, DC. That would be like a wrestler's fight. And they've talked a lot of shit back and forth to each other before. It's very well in history. Dude, I don't care. I'd like to see them just do like a competitive grappling match. You know what I mean? Take yeah, no, it's well known. They do not like each other. So that's what I mean. But anyways, guys, listen, before we get completely off track and you just hang up on us, I'm going to go ahead and just wrap this one up for us now. <laughs> Sitting at two and a half hours we here, guys. Sorry about that. We want to thank all of our guests. Um, Jimmy Smith, thank you for taking time out of your business schedule. I know we had to wait a couple of weeks to schedule this because of a confidentiality thing, but we knocked all that out. And uh, thank you for uh, coming on. But for our sponsors, I'm going to let Ben handle that one because, you know, he just loves it. Oh, you know me, man. I love giving all this love to our sponsors. Real quick, though, I do want to hit on the other gentleman we had on the show today. Kyle Kaler, man, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. And the reigning defending Cage Wars welterweight champion Jake Davis. We appreciate you guys taking times out of your camp. As always, we share our love to Michelle Luce and MMAWreckage.com. You guys, don't go to any other website. MMAWreckage.com is where you want to go for all your MMA news and anything like that. Local scene to the UFC, like it says in our ad, we cover it all. That's what we're here for, what you give a shit about. Other than that, I mean, if you guys want some good vape juice, you want some CBD vape juice, BrokeDick.com, RichardTemp.com for all your vaping needs, guys. Seriously, the best prices, best flavor. I've got water cup going in my vape right now. It's an amazing fruit plunge blend. And you just you can't get better play, uh, flavor for that price. Uh, Dave Manley of MMABobblehead.com. A huge thank you to him. You guys heard his promo here earlier in the show. That Cowboy Cerrone bobblehead just looks better and better with every win and record that he just takes. And I'll be honest, I'm probably going to try to get me one of those autographed ones here soon. I know they're going quick, so make sure you guys get on there and take care of that. Then again, I also want to give our uh, give more love to Tim Rankins and Cage Wars New York for everything they're doing, putting on this phenomenal card. Guys, Saturday, February 9th from Rivers Casino and Resort out of the event center in Schenectady. Cage Wars 40, the Night of Champions, is set to blow the roof off the place, and I could not be any more hyped for this card. I mean, to me, this card has as much hype as you know, waiting for Khabib Connor. if that says anything to you as to how much hype goes into this card. You know, it's just, it's going to be amazing. I can't wait. The pay-per-view is available. Tickets available. All that you guys find on CageWarsNY.com. And hashtag Porno Mike, guys. Let's get that trending. I really like that. We're going to get that going. But other than that, that's all we've got for you guys this week. And we really look forward to bringing you all the best next week. So thank you guys for listening.